This is one-on-one's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is one-on-one's NFL Friday. Live from Radio Row in Times Square, New York City, this is a very special edition of one-on-one's NFL Friday. Alongside Kenny Ducey, I'm DJ Sixsmith. Kenny, we're just a few days away from Super Sunday. We can finally smell it, and boy, what a week it's been here in the Big Apple. Finally see it. I mean, there's like, what, 700,000 people in this room right now? It's pretty ridiculous. It's really surreal being here on Radio Row, uh, just bumping into random people and uh, that you see on TV. But no, the Super Bowl is so close, it is uh, truly just crazy. I mean, it's like it doesn't hit you until about now. I mean, this is the day where... You know, this is your your football Friday. You're getting ready for the weekend, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, the Super Bowl is on Sunday. Got a great show on tap to you. We'll get to all of our predictions for the big game. Got a bunch of great guests. But first, we got to keep it in the family We're with Fordham's right finest. Us. It's Nick Costos from SiriusXM and Bleacher Report. Nick, it's great to have you on here. How you doing? Hey guys, it is great to be here. Thank you very much for having me, and always great to come home. Uh, love being a member of the Fordham University family, and of course, a WFUV sports alum myself, as uh, Bob Aarons can attest, a sports manager back in 2004 and 2005. So there you go. Gotta love it. Okay, so let's start to break this game great. down, because we've heard everything about Peyton's legacy, the Seattle defense, but what are some of the biggest factors for you that will really pay dividends on Sunday night? You know, I look at a couple. Uh, let's start with Percy Harvin. I think he looms large as the biggest X factor in this game. You know, since the Seahawks brought him over in the offseason from the Minnesota Vikings for a first-round pick, he's only played in two games. He's only caught four passes. But I think you caught a glimpse of what Seattle plans on doing with him in their divisional round playoff victory over the New Orleans Saints before he left with the concussion. They lined him up next to Marshawn Lynch in the backfield, used him over the middle in the passing game, obviously on returns. Harvin is by far the best playmaker on that offense, not named Marshawn Lynch. I think you're going to see a lot of Percy Harvin coming up on Sunday for the Seattle Seahawks. Well, you mentioned he's maybe, I, I think he's personally the only playmaker, Nick. I mean, I don't see enough on that Seattle offense that could possibly power them forward to overcome it you know I know that Seattle's defense is the best in the league but you got to imagine Denver puts up more than 25 points I mean Seattle what is there for Seattle that's going to win them this game on offense well they do have Marshawn Lynch and I, I happen to think Marshawn Lynch one of the best running backs in the league and they don't call him beast mode for no reason and you saw what he did in the NFC championship game against a very talented San Francisco 49ers front seven San Francisco's defense much better than Denver's so if Marshawn Lynch can go for over 100 yards against San Francisco he can certainly do it against the Denver Broncos what you guys are going to see is the same thing Marshawn Lynch always does they're going to pound him up the middle pound him up the middle again and again and again until he goes into beast mode and breaks a 40 to 60 yard game-changing run he did it against New Orleans he did it against San Francisco I thoroughly expect him to do it against the Broncos and Marshawn Lynch guys my pick for Super Bowl MVP wow talking with Nick Costos here on one-on-one's NFL Friday. Nick, let's talk about the Denver defense because Von Miller is out with a torn ACL. Elmas Dumerville is in Baltimore. He's not on the team. Chris Harris is hurt. So how does Denver possibly contain Russell Wilson in the pocket? Because in that last game against San Francisco, when he was moving, making plays with his feet, that's when the Seahawks got back into it. 
How does Denver adjust without some of their best pieces in stopping Russell Wilson? Well, I think you've seen two unheralded players on Denver start to emerge here over the past couple of weeks. Number one is run-stuffing defensive tackle Terrence Knighton. He had the big sack of Tom Brady on fourth down in the AFC Championship game. And the second outside linebacker pass rusher Sean Phillips who came over in free agency from the San Diego Chargers. I think both of those guys are going to be key to stopping Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense. And look, for Denver, I would say that Seattle is the weakest offense that they will have faced in the postseason. San Diego's offense with Keenan Allen and Ryan Matthews and Phillip Rivers yeah. pulling the trigger, I like better. Bolo. Certainly the New England Patriots with Tom Brady and company. So I don't necessarily look at this. This game is a significant test for the Broncos' defense. I think the game will be won or lost depending on how Denver's offense performs against the Legion of Boom and the rest of Seattle's defense. And it's going to be Peyton Manning who heads that Denver for offense and there's so much discussion of oh my goodness Peyton Manning you can't play outside of a dome you can't play in cold weather do you realistically think that the cold weather here in New York affects Peyton Manning in such a negative manner that he loses this Super Bowl with all the weapons he has on offense to throw to well I think that Denver will lose the Super Bowl but it won't be because of the weather and look Let's not get it twisted here. It's not the snow that's going to be potentially a problem on Sunday. It's not the rain that's going to be a problem. It wouldn't be any sub-zero temperatures, even though it's supposed to be a balmy, <laughs> tropical, even 50 degrees on Whoa. Sunday, a kickoff Super Bowl 48. The thing that we people need to be concerned with is the wind at MetLife Stadium because Peyton Manning has a tendency to throw ducks up there yep. in perfect conditions. So if the winds are swirling at MetLife Stadium, that could be what affects it compromises the quality of the game knocks Denver's passing attack out of sync but the wind expected to be not fierce I still don't think Denver's going to be able to win this game hey we saw it with with the Patriots game with Belichick taking the win yeah you never know all right Nick let's step away from the game just a minute we're here at Radio Row you've been here all week long booking numerous guests from Adam for Adam Shine so who's been the most interesting guy that you've had on the show this week? You know, we had Randall Cobb, the Green Bay Packers wide receiver, on today, and he was he was magnificent. He talked a lot about when he was hurt this season and how it really kind of changed the way that he was thinking about life being on the sidelines, watching his teammates out there, talked about how he was in a dark place and was pretty depressed before he came back. And if you remember in Week 17, he caught that miraculous touchdown yeah. on fourth down to beat the Chicago Bears and win the NFC North. And then we had Ronnie Lott on yesterday, and Ronnie – is, is such a deep thinker, and he has so many intelligent things to say about the game of football. I would say those two really stand out, even more so than some of the bigger names, Randall Cobb and Ronnie Lott. Well, how would you say, how, how hectic has this been in comparison to past Super Bowls where you didn't get your credentials, where, you know, where there was something messed up with, I don't know, Adam likes to make that joke, or, you know, past Radio Row experiences, because it seems very hectic for you. I mean, you look like you just came out of a war, <laughs> but... I mean, you know, you've been doing this for a while. I mean, where does this rank? Uh, I would say this was the easiest radio really? row that, that I've had. This is my fifth one. Um, it's in my backyard. You know, that's kind of made it a little easier, the fact that there was no travel day, the fact that I'm sleeping at home in my apartment. I'm not resting on a hotel bed. It was pretty easy this year. It's kind of old hat for me at this point. It's the same thing year after year. We get the guests on. The only difficulty comes when Joe Montana's on the air and someone brings over Dan Marino and try to figure out when we're going to sit people down when we're not going to. But aside from that, I think that this one was actually pretty easy. The week flew by. I can't believe I'm sitting here with you Friday afternoon, and I'm done until Monday. Nick, I got to ask you, you're a big New York guy. How different would this week be if the Giants win the Super Bowl 
or even if some miracle happened and the Jets happened to be in Super Bowl 48. No, I do Thank think you, I do think it would be uh, significantly crazier if that were the case. But I got to say, you know, I think that Seahawks fans and Broncos fans have really represented themselves well this week. Even walking around Astoria where I live, you see people on the Seahawks call cap or the Broncos jacket. So, yeah, I do think it would be a little nuttier. The city would be on edge a little bit more. But I got to say that I think that it's been pretty good, all things considered, this week, even with two teams not in extremely huge media markets in Denver and Seattle. All right, Nick, what's your prediction for Sunday? I know I know, we know the Seahawks are going to win, according to you, but score, uh, and Marshawn Lynch is your MVP. Yeah, this, know, maybe it's a bold prediction. This is how I see the game breaking down. I don't think Denver is going to be able to attack down the field. Seattle's secondary is too good. I don't think this is going to be a Demarius Thomas or a Julius Thomas game. Think about Seahawks safety Cam Chancellor. He erases opposing tight ends. Seattle beat New Orleans and San Francisco. Cam Chancellor held Jimmy Graham and Vernon Davis, two tight ends that I would say are better than Julius Thomas, to a combined three catches for 24 yards. Another thing Seattle can do that New England and San Diego could not is get pressure on the quarterback with only four men. So what's Denver going to do when they get into third and six, third and seven, third and four, whereas against San Diego and New England, Peyton had time to throw, dinking and dunking his way down the field. He's not going to be able to do that on Sunday with Averill and Clemens and Bruce Irvin and uh, and Michael Bennett. They're going to be able to get at Peyton Manning, so I don't think you're going to see the Broncos' offense operate as efficiently. I think Welker and Decker will be the two primary beneficiaries in the Broncos' passing game. And I think Marshawn Lynch will go into beast mode. The Seahawks' defense will make a statement. I like Seattle to win 26-24. And, guys, we've spent all year talking about how great this Broncos' offense has been, and with good reason. Scored 606 points, most in NFL history. Peyton throws an NFL record, 55 touchdown passes. But I'm telling you that when this game ends, when the smoke clears, when the clock hits zero, we will be talking about the 2013 Seattle Seahawks defense in the same breadth as the 1985 Chicago Bears and the 2000 Baltimore Ravens when they cap off a Super Bowl season by taking out Peyton Manning and the Broncos. There's a prediction That's a big-time prediction. That's a prediction. How about your guy Adam Shine? He going with Seattle or just like Peyton? Uh, Adam picks Seattle also, which worries me a little bit because (laughs) his Super Bowl picks this year have been atrocious. Before the season, my guy picked the Falcons and Texans in the Super Bowl. (laughs) They are picking one and four in the NFL draft, respectively. And then in the championship games, he had San Francisco and New England, so it's been a running joke on our show that Adam cannot pick the Super Bowl. I hope for my sake that he's got it right this time. Both of us rolling with the Seattle Seahawks. There you have it, folks. Nick Costos always keeping Adam Shine in check. Former sports manager here at FUV, now doing it big for SiriusXM and Bleacher Report. Nick, thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it, guys. And you guys do a great job. Love to uh, visit with Bob Aaron C., which you guys have going on here on Radio Row. Truly outstanding. A wonderful opportunity. And wish you guys the very best in the future. Hey, I wish Bob would agree with you. But thanks so much. (laughs) Appreciate it, man. Always a pleasure talking to Nick Costos here on Radio Row. DJ Sixsmith, Kenny Ducey, coming to you live from the Sheridan Hotel in Times Square. One-on-ones NFL Friday, and Kenny, Nick gave us some great analysis there. Cam Chancellor has been such an important piece, especially what he's done against tight ends, and we know how much the Manning brothers love those tight ends, so it could be a completely different game if Julius Thomas isn't involved. Yeah, well, you know, Eli Manning didn't do that great of a job this season with Brandon Myers, and, you know, maybe even last year with Martellus Bennett, but yes, he does love his tight ends. Peyton loves his tight ends especially, and you look at, you know, a guy like Julius Thomas, who down the field is a, a huge threat for him, so to take him away... To now, you know, still though, you're taking him away and you're looking at three 
for wide receivers that are going to make plays. And it's truly remarkable, and that's really the reason I love the Broncos in this game, because Peyton Manning has endless options to throw to. You have you have Demarius Thomas, you have Wes Welker, I mean, it's it, it on and Eric Decker. And then what about the running game, Kenny? Right, and, and O'Shawn Marino has proven to be very good this year, and which is actually something I really am interested in, because look at, I think this is the new prototype for a pass-happy offense, because you look at the guys they brought in before the season, they bring in Marino, Monty Ball, there are all these guys, even Ronnie Hillman from last year, mm-hmm. They, they just kind of throw four running backs together, and they say, one of you, take the job. And sure enough, Marino, with a chip on his shoulder, he was thrown third string preseason. Yeah. And, you know, he emerges, he takes the job. He's done a very good job. So, yeah, he's been great this year. And I think with him, three receivers, who cares if you take out Julius Thomas? Who cares if you don't throw to Demarius Thomas because Richard Sherman is on him? You have Decker and Welker, and Manning's going to be able to complete that five-yard pass to Wes Welker, and Wes Welker is going to make a lot happen after the catch. That's my really prediction for this game. I think there's going to be a lot happening after the catch for the Broncos. And that, I mean, even Julius Thomas, you get him open on a screen, a little a little flat route, you throw a couple blocks there, he breaks a couple tackles. It could be a nice run. I, I think that there's a lot working for them on offense. And no Sean Moreno's story is so incredible because here's a guy that was a first-round pick coming out of Georgia. During the Tim Tebow times, he's playing behind Willis McGahee. He busts up his knee. He's seen, it as, seen as someone who's never going to come to fruition. And then all of a sudden, playing behind Peyton Manning and being tested, being motivated because of guys like Monty Ball and Hillman, it really just goes to show how it takes a few years sometimes to develop a running back and to think, no Sean Moreno, you got you think of a guy that's a light running back, not a real thrasher, but goes for over 200 yards against the New England Patriots defense earlier this season, and now a guy who's from Jersey coming back and playing at MetLife Stadium. A lot of friends and family will be there, and it just goes to show that for all the praise that Peyton Manning gets along with the passing game, I don't think we'd be talking about the Denver offense in the same light as one of the best of all time, if not for no Sean Moreno. No, I completely agree with you. I really think that Noshan Marino has been one of the most underrated pieces of this team. And, I mean, even that defense. I mean, we were talking about Clark before, and you'll hear the interview coming up a little later in the show. And he really didn't think the Denver defense was that good. I think this Denver defense has done a very good job. I really think you look, it's kind of similar to the 49ers defense last year, in which they kind of have a lot of great guys Maybe not great guys. It's just that you don't know the names. Different levels, right? I mean, yeah, like you know, Ianacho is not a household name, but I mean, he's done a good job. But at Sean safety. Phillips is a guy who came from the Chargers, who's right, been great exactly. at linebacker. Exactly, Terrence Knighton, like like Nick just mentioned. I mean, a guy who wasn't you know really kind of a middle of the pack defensive tackle. He emerged towards the end of the season to really uh, show everybody what he's made of. I mean, yes, you're, you're minus Von Miller, but. This defense can still do things, and I think that, you know you got Dominic Rogers Camardi maybe playing the last game of his career. Who knows? And I mean, Champ Bailey maybe as well. Crazy stuff going on. Yeah, him too. I mean, it's the, the secondary. I think the linebacking core is pretty good for the Broncos. I, I just think that this is kind of a defense that it's not a defense that's going to shut down Seattle to the point of six points, you know, fourteen points in a Super Bowl. But it's the type of defense that's going to make a play late. They're gonna they're gonna rush the quarterback late. They're gonna get a big sack late, a big interception late. That's going to help them win this game. I really think that they have that play in them. And let's look at the Seattle offense now, because like Nick was talking about, Percy Harvin is such a wild card. But, Kenny, I wonder, Percy Harvin's coming back from a concussion. He only played in two games this year. So his familiarity with the offense is not where you'd ideally like it to be at this point. And while, yes, Harvin could be a huge player in this game, lining up in the backfield with Marshawn Lynch, lining up in the slot, I just don't think he finishes this game whether or not it's because of injury or just no, because he doesn't get in the flow. I think it's a guarantee that he doesn't finish the game. I mean, it's Percy Harvin. He gets hurt all the time. I, look, 
I love Percy Harvin. I, I, you know, he's been dealing with migraine headaches his whole career, and now these injuries this year. And it was and a trade where they give up a first-round pick, but it makes sense because Seattle really didn't have that type right, they of playmaker. Need, they need Percy Harvin. And you know what? I don't know if it's maybe a guarantee that he goes out early, but I, I think that there's a, a very good chance he gets re-injured considering what he's been dealing with with the concussions. And like I mentioned, he's had the headache problems in the past. It's going to be extremely difficult for, for that guy's head to really stay on straight. But, I mean, look, I think if he stays out of out of harm's way with contact. I mean, I think he can he, – I mean, it doesn't take a lot of concentration for a guy to catch a short pass and, and then really do what he's natural at. But when you're thinking about linebackers field. coming over the middle, trying to go for your head, I mean, that doesn't come across yet? Well, of course it does, but I, I just think that Percy Harvin is – I mean, this is the Super Bowl, and I think he's driven enough to – he's going to be focused enough in that, that he can make those plays. It's just a matter of uh, – it's really just a matter of if he gets hit in the head one or two times or not. But, I mean, you look at Seattle, they need him because – I don't really think Marshawn, Marshawn Lynch, to me, he's very good. He's very talented. He's one of the best in the league. He's not consistent enough for me that I can go and confidently say he's going to be a, a, a big factor for them in the Super Bowl. I, I don't know what you're going to get from Marshawn Lynch because defenses have been able to stop Marshawn Lynch this year. I, look, again, I know he's a top five back in the league. I, I just have my doubts. Well, you're right. He's been stopped by the Rams twice this year. I mean, here's a guy that comes from Buffalo, really hadn't been consistent in his career, Finally had that huge run against the Saints a couple of years ago in the playoffs. But then the next game, the NFC Championship, he rushes for less than 20 yards. So the big question is whether or not Marshawn Lynch can be effective. And if he can't, Kenny, I don't know if I trust the wide receivers of yeah. Seattle. But I've said this many times this year. And I'll tell you what, against the 49ers, the Seahawks wide receivers definitely proved me wrong. I mean, Golden Tate had a few big receptions. I love Golden but Tate. Doug Baldwin was the most surprising of all because here's a guy coming out of Stanford, play with Andrew Luck really didn't move the needle in terms of being a big-time receiver down the field. But I'll tell you what, he made some big plays in that game in securing the win for Seattle. And then how about a guy like Jermaine Curse Comes out of nowhere on that fourth okay, down right, play, plucks it, it out of the sky. I'm just saying, Kenny, these guys for Seattle, I didn't think they were going to do anything in the postseason. They've certainly exceeded expectations because the guys not named Harvin, not named Sidney Rice, have really proven me wrong. That's all I'm trying to say right. here. Well, I'm, I, not, I'm I, not going off and loving Jermaine Curse. I, I, I think you are, but I'm just kidding. I think that if you make Russell Wilson win you this game, I think that I, I think that's what the Broncos want to do. I mean, that's what I want to do. I'd want to make Russell Wilson beat us. And I don't know if Russell Wilson can realistically beat you in the Super Bowl. I mean, I, I well, okay, it's realistic, but I, look, why can't he? he? He's had trouble running the option this year. He was bad down the stretch. I, you know, it's just a matter of trust. And, I mean, you look at guys like uh, you wouldn't trust Percy Harvin maybe staying out of harm's way for a whole, a, a whole, you know, um, a whole game. Sorry, just our producer, Julian Adienzo, is showing me something there. And I have ADD. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think that I, I, I know Russell Wilson is very talented. I just I'd make him beat you with his feet rather than have Marshawn Lynch beat you with his feet. DJ Sixsmith and Kenny Ducey here live at Radio Row in Times Square. We've got a great show for the next few hours. Bob Papa is going to join us, Kevin Harlan. We've got Mike Westoff coming up in a few minutes. A lot of great guests, and what a week it's been here leading up to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl Boulevard just blocking out all of Times Square. A little I haven't bit, been there yet, actually. You've got to check it out because it's really the toboggan ride. Oh, I'm hearing great things about they're, that. They're tearing down the Old Spice uh, you know, place over there. I wanted, I wanted to go visit Wes Welker. <laughs> you know what? We can't, we can't win at all. But certainly it's been a fun week. And I'll tell you what, folks. This game can easily go all the way down to the wire. And it's been great because the last few Super Bowls have been just that. 
we talked to Clark Judge, and we'll get to that conversation a little bit later about the blowouts that he covered over the years in the 80s and 90s. But this Super Bowl with two evenly matched teams, and these are the two best teams in the league and the two that you wanted to see for the entire season because I think Seattle really proved a lot of people wrong. Everyone knew they were a good team, but championship-level team. Pete Carroll is proving that. And here's a head coach that won a championship at USC, left in dramatic fashion, leaving that program in ruins, now comes to the NFL and takes a reclamation project in Russell Wilson, a late-round pick. They had Matt Flynn. They shipped him out of town despite all the money they spent on him. And it just goes to show, Kenny, it's not necessarily if you have the best skill set at quarterback, but if you have the intangibles, if you have the persona that Russell Wilson does, that's a guy I want in the huddle with me with two minutes remaining in the game. Yeah, look, he's an extremely tough He's an extremely tough quarterback. He's talented. I, I just think that if, if my money's on one aspect of the Seattle offense, which I don't really, I don't really trust it at all, it's going to be Marshawn Lynch over Russell Wilson. Again, I'm, I'm going to make I'm going to flush Russell Wilson out. I'm going to make him make decisions on his feet, and I don't think he's going to make very good ones. Well, a guy that knows the NFL a lot better than us, Kenny, is a lot better than me. special teams guru Mike Westoff. He joins us right now on one-on-one. Got a very special guest next here on one-on-one's NFL Friday. It's former Jets special teams coach, now working in the media as one of us, Mike <laughs> Westoff, ESPN New York, SNY. Mike, did you ever think you'd see a Super Bowl in New York City? Yeah, yeah, frankly, I did. I, I, I did. I know that the NFL office, you know, they're here. They've wanted this desperately. You know, they, they really want to have it. The, the people of New York, and you've got two teams. Uh, the fan base is great. The media base is tremendous. You remember a, a number of years ago when, when Woody Johnson was, before he combined with the uh, Giants and built MetLife, when he was in the process of getting his own stadium, mm-hmm. uh, you know, going to put it on the west side. I'm sure you guys all remember that. Of course. He was, was going to actually build a stadium very similar to the one they have in Houston, which has a retractable roof. And, and the, he was going to get, they, they were going to get Super Bowl every couple of years if he had done that one. There's no question about it. It was going to happen. Yeah. And it was one of the, the, the influences for him to try it. But then, of course, he merged with the Giants and they did this. But, no, I'm, I'm not surprised. I thought that it would happen. Uh, they're rolling the dice a little bit with the weather, but it's going to work out and it's going to be great. Well, what do you think New York needs to do, or is there anything they can do to keep the Super Bowl here or, um, for another year? I mean, do you think it's ever going to return here? What do they need to do to make that that's, happen? That's uh, Here's the thing, and I know I listened to Commissioner Goodell today when he was giving his press, you know, his, his State of the Union address, you know, when his State of the League, and uh, what he talked about is as it's proposed by the committees that that make the proposal, that what they have to offer, and then that they they fulfill those obligations, and New York has done it according to what he said in all aspects. So that would uh, th- that would ride very highly with them. And then, of course, I think if, if the weather thing works out, that'll, that, that'll go in their favor, and they would have a chance to do it again. Mike, let's talk special teams now. This weekend, of course, the Hall of Fame voting. We've got to talk about it because they don't play it anymore. <laughs> so feel free. All right, look, so Ray Guy, Morton Anderson, two of the best kickers to ever play in this game. Mm-hmm. In your eyes, do they, do they belong in the Hall of Fame? Ray Guy, absolutely. Uh, Morton, I'm, Morton I have to think about, although I, I, I like him a lot, and I thought he did a heck of a job. Um, I, I, I'd have to really, I really want to give that one some thought. Ray Guy's not even close in my mind. Absolutely. Because what he, he did, he established things. You know, yeah. they took the chance yeah. on him and the draft pick, you know, the first round pick and all the things that, that, that Al Davis did with him. And then he fulfilled these things. I mean, I, I can still remember I was at Miami and we had Reggie Roby, who was a great punter. And we went down to the, uh, uh, down to New Orleans in the dome. And, and we would come out on Saturdays and actually have more of a practice with Coach Shula than most people would do today. Mm-hmm. And Reggie was punting. 
and he had heard that Ray Guy hit the scoreboard. He must have hit 75 <laughs> balls trying to hit the scoreboard. You know, he was uh, – but my, my point is he set – he set the bar so high that everyone wanted to, to try to go there. And they used to actually, they could game plan. They would take a chance on some of the things they'd do. They'd be on offense and backed up. Say, so let's take a shot. Yeah. If it doesn't work, Ray will get us out of the hole. <laughs> things like that. They actually did those things. So in that regard, I'm very 1,000% uh, in his corner. Uh, Morton Anderson, i got to think about that one a little bit. I'm not as high on that one for some reason. I don't know why. Now, Mike, there's a lot of things that we can talk about with special teams, but I want to get first your take on extra points because that's obviously okay. a big controversy in the NFL. They're going to maybe eventually phase it out. Uh, what would your ideal situation be? Because there are a lot of different okay. you know, ideas that people have. What would your ideal situation right. be for an I'll, extra I'll point? I'll give you exactly because I talked with um, Peter King. Uh, I, I, I've written some things with him and mm-hmm. helped him, and they had a debate uh, in sports, with sports Illustrated, so I helped, I helped form one side of it. Uh, nobody likes the non-play. And at 99.6, the percentage of PATs today has become almost a non-play. The way you can rush today has, has just changed so much and field goal and the way things are done. In fact, I've talked to several special teams coaches about that I think they really have to change their thinking on how they rush because it's just changed. Uh, so that that's something that's interesting, the non-play. The idea of, of giving a touchdown seven points, if you go for two, you get eight. If you don't make it, you get six. That's intriguing. I, though, I'd like to think a little bit outside the box. And here's, here's how I'm going to think this through. And I'd like to see them do this for a year. I believe with the new propensity of higher scoring, mm-hmm. the way offenses are scoring higher anymore, that teams are going to start going for two very early now. Everybody has the computer-generated sheet right. that shows you statistically you know, and, and uh, mathematically, okay, you're down by two. The score is this, this, this. You should go for two, et cetera. Everybody has that. Well, they pull it out with a couple minutes left in the fourth quarter. I think you're going to start seeing it early. I really do. That because teams, the rules now make it a little bit easier for you to get in the end zone, to get that receiver in the end zone yeah. because of how they can jam you. So I think you're going to see teams going for two more readily, and then that would make the one-point conversion would take it back to where it should be. So, frankly, I'd like to see it given another year or so to see what develops. If these things happen, leave it alone. If they don't, well, then I think it's up for debate. Now, Mike, one thing I've always been really curious about watching the Jets over the years, and I'm an avid Jets fan, by the way, you look back at even like Justin Miller, right, mm-hmm. and Leon Washington, and then Brad Smith, mm-hmm. and all these kick returners that you've, you've been able to develop into, you know, they, they, I mean, obviously it looks like they're doing it all, but, it, I mean, is it some sort of scheme that you're running and, yeah, and, and staying in your lanes <laughs> and blocking? I mean, what makes these guys so good over the years? It really is. It's a scheme. And the guys we had blocking. Six different guys led the league. Six different guys that I had. Um, I, I just, we came up with I, what, what you do in, in coaching, just like any other business, sometimes you learn so much from what everyone else did. Uh, Coach Shula was a great teacher of that. You know, he was a big believer in doing those things. You know, he used to come into my office. You know, I can still, I can actually imitate him pretty good. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. You know, he'd look at me and say, you know, oh, Mike, uh, why aren't we doing it like that? And your heart would stop. You know? <laughs> your, your heart would just stop. You wanted to get under the desk, hide, say, please, Lord, take him away. Because <laughs> you knew that he knew. And, and he knew you didn't know. And so it was. So what it made you do is it made you always work to research, always. And so what consequently, I would study what people did. And I, I saw the wedge. You know, used to be the, there used to be two basic types of returns, a man-to-man and a big giant wedge with four guys that would come running. And then, then, then what I started finding is that sometimes my roster didn't have as many good guys, and I didn't have the single blocking wasn't good. Now, being an old offensive coach, I started to double-team and trap and then run a wedge 
outside of that double team. And I just didn't re went re went and invented and worked at it. And it became a tremendous scheme that uh, everybody understood and everybody copies. I think everybody in the league copies it. So everybody has since come up with it. But it really did work. And then we had some great guys, not only that, that, that ran it, but that blocked it. And back in those times when we could keep those kinds of guys on our roster, it was really fun because we could beat anybody. We really had a good group. Actually, probably the best blocking group that I ever had was a group that Joe McKnight's first year. You know, Joe broke it. He was broke, unbelievable that year. You know, Joe left four touchdowns on the field. Joe did a good job, but he left four. It's the best group of blockers I ever had. I mean, if I would show you these films, you'd go, why did he run over there? I don't know. Go <laughs> ask him. If you could find them, and who knows? Because we were really good, and it just worked. And it was a lot of fun to, 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 to be innovative with and something I very, very much enjoyed. DJ Sixsmith, Kenny Ducey talking with special teams guru Mike Westoff. Mike, you mentioned Coach Shula and having an influence on your coaching career. Mm-hmm. Who were some other people along the way, whether it was at the college level, the professional level, that really impacted your coaching well, career? My, my, my father is an athlete, first to start. Uh, he was an exceptional, a great big guy. Dan Marino broke his city of Pittsburgh uh, quarterback records. They went to the same high school, uh, Central Catholic, and Dan broke my dad's records. Wow. There wasn't anyone else. He held them all those years. Uh, so th- that's where it started. And then I had a great high school coach. I played on an undefeated team in western Pennsylvania, a coach named Dan Galbreath that, that won everything, everything he ever coached. He was very successful, and we were undefeated and did that. And, and, then, and then as I, you know, you go through college, those things. Actually, I, I, I played a short while on the same uh, team that Coach Par- that Bill Parcells coached on. Oh, wow. So even though I, I didn't directly play for him because I was redshirted, I, I did learn and I would watch him and I, I knew this guy was pretty good. Uh, a pain in the neck sometimes, but actually a really good coach. Boy, he could coach. So those are types of things. And then I got into the league and the biggest influence was Don Shula. He really was. I, I, I worked with Jimmy Johnson and that was a very good experience. Jimmy was a tremendous personnel guy, great in the draft really organized the draft as well as anybody has, my opinion, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame himself. I I firmly believe that. And, you know, coaching special teams for Jimmy Johnson was, you know, that's like being a a dating coordinator at Victoria's Secret. (laughs) The easiest job in town. I mean, Jimmy was, you know, he he always had a group of guys. We were could fly and, and so things like that and then coming here uh to, to new york I, I have a tremendous regard for woody johnson he was uh, uh was just great to me the whole time that i was here I, I i i'm disappointed you know those years we went to the championship games that we couldn't have gone that next step but uh th- those are some I, I was very fortunate in my career and mike i was actually going to ask about woody johnson and you know him and rex ryan there's always a big public perception about them you know wh- whether or not they're the right people whether or not you know where their faults might be i mean out of those two guys you know w- learning with them working with them to the afc championship game two years i mean what did you learn about them and what makes them so effective at what they do well well so you're really looking at apples and oranges in a lot of ways I mean, obviously woody, yeah yeah woody has a you know <laughs> and, and with johnson and johnson's a pretty successful company Woody has tremendous, uh, tremendous feeling. He wants to give the team everything that he personally can to make them successful. He doesn't hold anything back. Their facilities are phenomenal. They travel first class. Everything he does, he tries to do it. He's no cheapskate. He's first class in that regard. Uh, and so, and he really cares about the fans. He cares. He wants his, He wants them. He wants to present a good product. He wants to do it in a first class way. Rex is, you know, Rex as a coach was a very good defensive coordinator. He understands defense. He has a good way with the players. You know, and I, sometimes his firm belief in the players 
can get misinterpreted. Sometimes he actually goes too far, and it becomes braggadocious in a way. You know, they said, oh, you know, Rex is always. But really, he believes in them. What Rex sees, you know, it's not that you see the glass half full. He, he sees it all the way full. And, 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 and so he does that a lot, and he's very, very positive with the guys. So that part I think you have to give him credit for. I'm happy that he's going to get to fulfill his contract. I think he's, he's got, you know, that line is built uh, very strong on both sides, particularly defense. You know, Rex. I mean, you know, he'd rather draft you know twenty defensive yeah. linemen. <laughs> he don't care. Just give me. Uh, but he's pretty good at it, and they're good. So next year they're going to have that cap room. They've got nine draft picks, or maybe even ten, and uh, they're 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 going to refurnish. They're going to re- rebuild that football team. As I talked with him, I said, Rex, I don't think you're going to replace one guy. That's not going to be a step up. I think everything's going to be a step up. I said, because you're, you know, you're receiving course. I, I live in a, you know, a golf development in Florida. We got guys in my development could play for that. <laughs> I know. So, man, I don't want to hear it. But, so he's going to. So I think if I were a Jet fan, and I am, uh, I, I'd be very, very excited and very positive because there's good things ahead for the New York Jets. I firmly believe that. Hey, Mike, real quick. Will we see you again on an NFL sideline? No, not unless they change the rules. I don't, it, the, the game's changed. What you know, about I, the game? What What has changed that? The wedge? No, it's the, no. It's the, 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 here's the thing. What's happened, the role has actually been reduced. I've, I had a, a number of special teams coaches contact me about three weeks ago and said, you've got to get back in to help us bring this job back to the prominence where it used to be because the role is just getting diminished. It's just, the, you know, not the way there's hardly any kickoffs, no kickoff returns, guys trying to run it from 10 deep. Mm-hmm. It looks stupid. Yeah. You know, high-powered offenses move the ball. The way you can rush on field goals and things like that has drastically changed the role. Now, for someone like me that helped bring this job into a, a prominent coordinator's position, I don't want to go back and do it right now. I, tr- I truly don't. Um, I, I'd like to fight to see some of these things. And, and I'm not, and believe me, I'm very safety conscious. I don't like the big collisions, but you can do it. I drew up a, a whole different way to run kickoff returns. We did it in the Monday morning quarterback and presented it to the league. And actually, they, they were they, they were pretty impressed with it. But, you know, is it going to be what we need, what the league needs? And I, and I don't have the answer for that. So for me right now, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I coached, what, 624 <laughs> games. That's enough. And uh, so I'm having fun working with the media. Very, very, very. And I like looking at the big picture now. There you have it, folks. Mike Westoff, former Jets special teams coordinator, now working for SNY and ESPN New York. Mike, thanks for the time. Nice. Really okay, appreciate guys. it. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Back here on One-on-One's NFL Friday, live from Radio Row, alongside Kenny Ducey. I'm DJ Sixsmith. Wow, what great stuff from Mike Westoff. He hit a lot of different things between the safety of the game, how the special teams coordinator has really been phased out, and also what he, what he did with the Jets in terms of making returners the best they could possibly be. And even a guy like Joe McKnight, who really didn't have a great tenure with the yeah. Jets, but still had the best blocking that Westoff has ever had, just goes to show what an incredible mind he is and how desperately the game needs him, but he doesn't want it, Kenny. He I didn't... know. It, he's just he's like Batman in that way. <laughs> I, it was so cool to hear that because, like, he has – I'm sorry. He has so many, you know, different guys that he's worked with over the years. I remember back back in the Justin Miller days, he looked like one of the – he was maybe yeah. on his way to Devin Hester status. I mean, you know, and then, like, Leon Washington and all these guys. And, yeah, I mean, you know, to hear that he had the best blockers, that McKnight could have scored four more touchdowns, which was kind of funny – um, was really great insight, and that's something that like 
I've always wondered about because and that's actually been absent with the Jets over ever yeah. since Mike Westhoff's left is they haven't been able to kind of fill that kick returner void and you know McKnight was obviously you know the, he failed the conditioning test and, and then he got caught Brad Smith left the team they, they couldn't resign him but you know so people like to blame it on the fact that Brad Smith left but I mean maybe it was you know Mike Westhoff wasn't there anymore and it's interesting I do agree with them that it is kind of stupid that guys take balls out 10 yards deep in the end zone and, you know, the kickoffs. Like, I didn't get why the kickoff had to be moved up five yards. I understand the safety, you know, with the with the collisions that happen when you have a guy taking it from the one. But I, I don't know. I mean, it just eliminated the return, and the return is the, the, fun, the most fun thing about special teams, in my opinion. And really the interesting thing about Westoff is you know this guy from everything on hard knocks and yelling at players and as the Jets special teams coordinator, but a whole lifetime before that, he spent many years with the Miami Dolphins working with guys like Jimmy Johnson and Don Shula, some of the greatest football minds that we've ever had in this game. And it just goes to show when you associate yourselves with someone like of that magnitude and Mike Westhoff gave a great Don Shula impersonation. It was, I mean, it was really funny. It, just, it shows how Shula has rubbed off on Westhoff, and he takes the credit for being such a guru of special teams, but so much of that comes from Don Shula, and we may never have seen this Mike Westhoff come to the forefront if it wasn't for Don Shula and others like his father along the way. It just goes to show how incredible these stories are rising up through the ranks. Yeah, and there's so many, you know, these coaching trees that you see now. I mean, Shula obviously has one, Parcells has Belichick one. Belichick is right. now the modern era. And, and then you even hear Westhoff talking about the fact that a lot of guys have taken his special team style and tried to copy it. So, you know, you're talking to one of the guys who really was, you know, at the forefront of cutting edge uh, strategy in that in that aspect, and it's sad to hear the fact that he is disappointed with where special teams has gone. He, he won't come back to the game because I really think that the game is more fun with Mike Westhoff. Do you think they'll do away with PATs? Do you think yes. it's just going to be all two point conversions? Yeah, I mean, and even the field goals. Like, look at field goals over the past. Now they're obviously not going to take away field goals, but well, maybe maybe it's not so. They're obvious. talking about a possible four point field goal. I right. don't know if you heard about that. Adam Vinatieri said beyond fifty yards, give me four points. I agree with that. That's tough to make from 50 yards. And with all the wind, depending on where you play, I mean, give the guy four points. Why not if you're taking away PATs? Well, you look at the percentages over literally the past 50 years, and it's been up and up and up and up, and now these past 10 years. And really, I mean, before we were, you know, really avid football fans growing up, I mean, we didn't get to see a lot of field goals missed. I mean, it's been over 90% for the last 10, 15 years, and it's, it's truly remarkable how good kickers have become. You missed three kicks in a season, or, you know, maybe not three kicks in a season, maybe six kicks in a season, you had a bad year. I mean, six, that's six You kicks. may not even make it to six missed right. field goals. I know, it's, it's so unbelievable. So, yes, the extra point is way too easy. Um, like, uh, I think like, or no, maybe, um, like Mike said, it's a non-play. People don't like non-plays. The league doesn't like non-plays. They're certainly going to have to come up with something Something different. It's, it was at 96% this year. Field goals. Is that field goals? or That's PATs. PATs this year. So, I mean, that, you know, it's an automatic one. And I think it would be cool to see um, a play run. I think I think Colin Coward on his show made an interesting point. I mean, like, what if you ran it from, like, five, five yards or even, or, you know, even two yards. Run it from where you do now, and you can go in for one. If you back it up five yards, then... You go for two. That's I, I like our flag football game. Right. You back up the distance, you go for two. I mean, what's so bad about that? Well, the real interesting thing about field goal kicking PATs is that it's really taken for granted in the college game. 
where so much can happen. We've seen many missed field goals from 30 yards in or even a PAT, but I don't know what's going to happen to the college game if the NFL changes these rules. Do they fall along suit? Because I field goal kicking is such an important part of the college it's different game. In college, it's though. so much different given the crowds and given you know all the adrenaline rushing through and so many young guys that haven't had the experience of kicking at major schools as well so i think it's going to be really interesting but mike westoff really said it i mean the special teams coordinator at this point is just basically saying if you're on kickoff just run out there and get a little jog get a little workout yeah. and then really the only thing is the punt return game if the punter does keep it in play that's the only chance you really get for a return yeah, and by the way, looking for your tweets throughout the show at WFEV Sports. Let us know on any of these issues, the special teams, uh, any questions that you might have for our guests. But, you know, we're, we're looking at this, and, and I agree with you. I think that it's an interesting dynamic whether or not college football would go to adapt these same rules. I, I don't know if they would. And, I mean, you know, a lot, they've distanced themselves from the NFL in a few different areas, but it's the kickers in college are nowhere near the kickers in the NFL. I mean, right. I mean, we know firsthand with Pat Murray, who was an All-American kicker at Fordham, who still who just got a job in the NFL with the Buccaneers, but had to sit out a year. He's literally the best kicker in the country, and he didn't get and a job. And doesn't get I mean, a selection. You have to be the cream, like the absolute top of the cream of the crop to have to, to, in order to get a job in the NFL kicking. So it's extremely hard to break into. And, I mean, these are elite guys at, at kicking a field goal through uprights. You know, so it's... It's, it's different, I think. And, Kenny, think about the impact that special teams has had on this postseason. Look at that Seattle-San Francisco game. Seattle's trailing in the third quarter. Stephen is about to come out and kick a very long field goal, but he tells Pete Carroll, keep the offense on the field. I can't make it from this distance. And then all of a sudden, Russell Wilson hooks up with Kurz for a touchdown. And that completely changed the game. Imagine if Seattle goes and kicks that field goal, maybe misses it, maybe hits it. It's not the same momentum shift that they got from that touchdown. Yeah, but you like to have a kicker who makes that. I mean, well, that's what I didn't like about Lawrence Tynes. I, th- I really thought it was foolish that Giants fans kept saying Lawrence Tynes was a great kicker. You never knew He's what you were getting from He's a wonderful kicker. No, if you can't hit from 50 yards or, bu- or, or past that, you're not reliable and you're not providing anything to your team that no that any other kicker in the league can do. Any other kicker in the league can hit consistently inside 50 yards. I mean, that, you know, we were just talked about the high percentage of field goals that are made. But still, the guy did it at Green Bay, did it in the Super Bowl at San Francisco, right, which was which was like the biggest one of the biggest miracles in sports, I think. <laughs> and like, I just don't, I, I don't get. That I I would be angry if I was a Seahawks fan. And look, yes, it turned out very well that you scored a field goal, but you need a kicker who can hit from that distance. You need a kicker that is confident. Maybe he's not going to hit it every time, but he's confident he can hit from 55. That's the new NFL. You need a kicker who can stretch it out a little bit, who can stretch the field. It just, look, the Giants were able to win the Super Bowl with Lawrence Tynes because they had one of the best offenses in the league. They got hot. They had Eli Manning. You really they think the Giants' offense was one of the best in the league at that point? No seven? I mean, the Patriots were the best offense in the entire NFL yeah, at that well, point. Right. They, they were the best, but the Giants were certainly one of the best. The, Hakeem Nix and Victor Cruz were both very good. They had a good tight end game. They, they even were able to run the ball a little bit with Ahmad Bradshaw. That's always nice, right? Right, exactly. And then Ahmad Bradshaw's not there, and they miss <laughs> him. But, I, you know, Eli did a great job. And that they had a good enough offense where it didn't matter. But there are only a few of those teams. And I don't – we were talking about the Seahawks offense before. Like, I don't know if they're good enough where you could – be like, okay, we don't really care what our kicker gives us. I mean, and Hauschka's been really good all year, so I don't even know why we're really picking at him. But, I mean, you know, he should be able to hit 55, at least try to hit 55. 
And speaking of field goal kickers, we asked Mike Westoff about which kickers he thought were going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. And Ray Guy, the guy who created hang time, and then along with Morton Anderson as well, the game's best field goal kicker. I think it's interesting in the next few years going forward beyond these guys because you're going to have Adam Vinatieri, who's going to be up for a Hall of Fame bid in a few years. And, of course, he has so many miraculous kicks. And even maybe looking a little bit forward in a guy like Matt Prater, who over the last few years has really developed into one of the See, game's I really, best. I don't really buy the Prater hype, though. I think that's just... I, How do you not buy the Prater hype? I don't buy the guy it. guy hits over 50-yard field goals all he the time. A, he's got a great leg, but I think that, you know, that maybe a guy like Blair Walsh who flies under the radar because he plays in Minnesota, or Nick the God, Nick Folk this year, who was just un, he was unconscious, except for, you know, I think he missed, what, two down the stretch with the Jets, but he was... I mean, he's a really okay, good kicker. Okay, game's on the line. There are just a who lot do of guys rather, who don't. Who do you want? Look, Prater's Nick a great Folk kicker. Nick Folk or Matt Prater? I take Matt Prater. Even if Matt Prater is sick, which he is going into the Super Nick Bowl. Nick Folk's made game-winning field goals not only this year. He made multiple, but he made them in the playoffs. He's a solid he kicker. I'll give you that. But still, when game's on the line, guys like Vinatieri, Prater are the ones I go with. We've talked way too much about kickers. I don't know. I, I was wondering why we were still <laughs> talking about kickers. We're here live on Radio Row alongside Kenny Ducey. I'm DJ Sixsmith. Getting you set for this Sunday's game between the Seahawks and the Denver Broncos. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll talk to the radio voice of the Super Bowl, Kevin Harlan from Westwood One. Later on, we'll chat with Bob Papa, one of our own from WFEV, about the Giants' season, about the Super Bowl in New York City. So many more interviews to get to. We'll have Clark Judge along the way. Kenny, we've started to break this game down, and one of the interesting things that really hasn't been talked about too much is that Denver offensive line. You go back to the middle of the season, they have one of their linemen that leaves the team, decides to retire spontaneously. All of a sudden, they've become such a huge part of the conversation. And they will certainly be in that conversation. As Kevin Harlan's getting set to check in with us here on WFEVsports.org. It be great to talk to him about the NFL, doing the Knicks game last night. A busy week for Kevin. And now he joins us here on One-on-One's NFL Friday. Kevin, thanks so much for taking Thank the time. You. Mike Breen, <laughs> not Vince Scully. But uh, but it's great to be on with you guys. I, I got to ask all you, students, right? Am I yes, all students? That's students. right. That's right. I got all wanting to get in play by play. Yes, sir. Or sports talk hosting or whatever. Yeah, good, fun. good for you. I got to ask you first. Have you been in contact with Con Edison? Have you made sure that they've paid all the bills, oh, the electric no. bills <laughs> at, at MetLife Stadium? You know, you know Howard Denneroff, who of runs course. Westwood One. Were you guys all interns for him? I was an intern. Good for, him, for yeah. you. Yeah, the best guy in the business. Oh yeah, I yeah, strung no for question. them, but that was about it. God, it's, you're you're on the right path, but you need to go in there and work under this guy's a maniac, but he loves radio. <laughs> he loves radio, and um, uh, he just had two landlines in in the booth and just literally dialed up Westwood one here in New York and handed me one phone. He dialed up and he gave Boomer one phone, and you saw there was a picture I think that was sent out, and and that was it. It was. And people go, what'd you think? Well, I'm describing what you see, right? I mean, you, that's you. you just, it's dark over here. It's light over here. We got Secret Service guys on the field. So anyway, it was, it was, uh, it was a nice experience. Right? I, that, that was the last thing I th- after the game. That's all anybody wanted to talk about. I was getting all these texts after the game. Can I, can I give you call these newspaper guys? I said, I said about the game? And he go, no, no, about the blackout. Like, blackout? Gee, we had this great finish in the Super Bowl. Anyway, yeah. um, it, was, it was fun. So, Kevin, one of the pleasures I had, having interned at Westwood One, was listening to your calls of Monday Night Football. That's not a pleasure. That's, hey, that's you know a what? torture chamber is what that The is. way you call games is so different than most because you're so descriptive. And one of the things that you've said over the years is that all you wanted to do was radio. Yes. Not TV, but yes. just radio. And you listen for a long, long time to newscasters, and that's really how you got your voice to where it is now. So what does it mean to you? How do you know all this Well, stuff? Kevin, we actually spoke on He's the phone this summer. 
I don't know if you remember. I do. You were the guy. Yeah, I was the I, guy. I remember that very well. Yeah. We have finally met. That was a long conversation. That was a long yes. conversation, and I'll hit I, on a, you a few fell more asleep points. during the conversation. As I <laughs> yeah, recall. sure, sure. But, I just feel what, very awkward now in this. What spot. does it mean? <laughs> it's a little bit awkward. You're third yeah, wheeling. That's yeah, for sure. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so, Kevin, what does it mean to you to be the radio voice for Westwood One at the Super Bowl? Could, could you have? I mean, it, it's like uh, you got this beautiful blank canvas. And the challenge of coming up with the right words and the right pacing and the right reporting of, of the event and bringing it all and you know, all of it, it's such a great challenge. I love radio and, and would have been happy being the voice of you know, replacing Kaywood Ledford at Kentucky or mm-hmm. John Ward at, at the University of Tennessee. That's what I always dreamt about doing because when I would drive, I heard these great voices. Here, here's a great story. Sean McDonough and I were interns at the predecessor to ESPN Radio. It was called Enterprise Radio. You can Google it and look it up. It was called Enterprise Radio. It was the first radio sports talk network in the country. And Sean and I were the first two interns. That's why it went out of business because they, they, <laughs> they, they hired poor interns. And the guys that were engineering were guys that had met retirement age at Mutual Radio and CBS and NBC and ABC Radio. So they brought these guys up to Connecticut. It was in Avon, Connecticut. And uh, they brought tapes, after I got to know them, of Red Barber, early Vin Scully, mm-hmm. these, these uh, uh, Marty Glickman, these great, great radio voices. And the thing that really struck me was just how descriptive they were. And now, when, when and I say this when I speak to colleges, you know, when, when kids are doing games, they're doing it like they're doing a TV call. And it takes effort and, and imagination and, and intensity to come up with the right word to describe a catch or a tackle or a touchdown pass. But that's what a young Scully and a Marty Glickman and all these guys did. Mm-hmm. They were talking to a group that could not see. And because they were driving or they're sitting on their porch or whatever they were doing. And so that, to me, is, is such a great challenge and that's where I caught that bug. And I said, you know, if I'm ever going to do it, that's the way. Because it was so impactful. If they say theater of the mind is the most powerful emotion you have, then then what a better opportunity for a play-by-play guy like the three of you to get out there and, and, and use those words and try to come up with the right description and get the right pacing so you, you capture the rhythm of your broadcast early. So that when you get it, man, you can. When you get, oh, it just it just it's like it's like a a, a, a hitter who's hot in baseball. He yep. sees the seams, or a quarterback. Everything is in slow motion. Well, as a broadcaster, when you're doing radio play by play, if you're lucky enough to get that, whatever that is, it that's what it's like. You and, got it. And the words just fly, and the description is right on the money. And you know, you're you're talking to that blind guy sitting in Queens. You're talking to that truck driver in Montana. Who can't see, can't you know? But they can visualize, and they go through it, and that—that that is the greatest joy. TV, TV, play-by-play guy is the fourth guy in TV. It's the picture. If the yep. picture's worth a thousand words. Why say anything, <laughs> right? Then it's the analyst because he's going to decipher what's going on. He's going to explain what you're seeing. Then it's the you know it's the graphics and it's the replay and it's all the swishes and all this other. Then it's the play-by-play guy, and all he is is a conduit. He's a facilitator. He's handing off. He's you know, engaging in conversation, he's setting up the analyst, and so anyway, I that's why I love radio. And now I got that blank canvas, and now hopefully I'm skilled enough to do what I what I can possibly do with it. And 
and love the challenge. Love that challenge. Well, well, now you do it a lot, and now you're on TV a lot. And I mean, I just I'm curious. You know, you, you're on the NBA on TNT last night, and, and you're doing all of this. I mean, how hectic is it for you traveling and keeping your you know you use your voice a lot. You, you use a lot of voice inflection. Kevin, tell how the you folks at home about how you keep your your voice fresh. Because what did I yeah. tell? Now, what did I tell you? I, now I forget because I come up with like a different remedy. Every well, day. you were saying that uh, tea dries your throat out. It so does. You don't, you don't like caffeine, that, right? So right? you talked about there are a few singers that like to use apple juice. That yep, yep. and you said that Robin something... uh, Thick yep. and and uh, and uh, Josh Groban yeah, was another one. Josh Groban. So how do you take care of your Why voice? What's the most important thing? Right now, I'm on to two things. I'm on to room temperature water. Your body will act as a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, as a, uh, not a, a hydrator, like mm-hmm. a hyd- hydration machine. You've got a hydration machine. You know, like, for instance, and I don't want to get too graphic for your audience, but they're college <laughs> kids listening, so they're probably looking for a little bit of fun here. You know, they don't let guys race in NASCAR unless their urine is, is clear. Right. right. Okay? So as a broadcaster, do that. You want to be completely hydrated. Because your vocal cords, I explained this to you on the phone how they're like two, you did, like yeah. two index fingers hitting. Every time, every time you talk, they hit. But if you go, <clears throat> that will that will inflame your vocal cords, and now you become a little hoarse. And so now the movement between those two vocal cords is like this, as opposed to bang, ding, 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 like this, right? So, so if you hydrate, they become real slippery. But if you're drinking a lot of coffee. You dry out, and now they're grinding against each other. Well, I'm a big coffee guy. Yeah, this you is are. a shock. You be, you now you want the coffee. I'm back because, on my heels. Because you want the caffeine, right? Like Marv. Right. Marv. Is he a Fordham guy? No, he went to Syracuse. He's accused. a cute guy. Fr- a friend I'm of Mr. So Bob Aaron. I'm so tired of Newhouse this, <laughs> Newhouse that. Blah! Um, uh, Marv will drink a big thing of, of coffee, but he'll do it enough so that he, he gets the, the energizing effect of coffee, but then will drink water. And... Now, he's a guy that uses his voice. He uh, I, he was born with a voice that is like the, the, a Stradivarius, like there will only be one. And it's been conditioned and it's been, you know, polished to the point now where it's like this beautiful instrument. Guys like, you know, I, we're not trying to be like Marv. We're trying to be our own, which is, mm-hmm. I think I told you, right. be your own guy because that will always come most more natural to you. If you're thinking about being somebody else, you'll never be what you can be. All right, real quick before we let you go. Don't listen to him. He does this all the time. He says this. Don't listen to him. Just cover your – don't disregard the hey, man you're a back busy of the guy. curtain. People want he has to no regard for human he life. He has <laughs> no regard for Fordham Radio. That's right. All right, real quick, a prediction for Sunday. Now, you know I can't do that. I know, but come on. Tell me, tell well, me which way you're going to be watching. A bold prediction. Is the wind going to knock Peyton Manning over? Something I don't crazy. Think gonna, I don't think there's going to be enough wind. And plus, if there was, his game, his passing game is so short, it's like within 10 – 12 yards of the line of scrimmage. You know, he's a, he's a yards after catch guy. So he's getting guys and, you know, every, all his guys always catch it on the move, right, when they're on the crossing patterns. So I, I think it's this. He, he is he is so locked in to ball control, long drives, eating up the clock, moving the chains, the short passing game to get all that. And then if he sees something deep, he'll go deep. So here now he goes up against the number one defense, which is the best at getting the ball. They take the ball away. No one has gotten more turnovers in their defense. So that, that to me, will the defense prevail, number one? Will the offense prevail, number one? It's a historical offense. We've never seen one like it before. You know, there's so many storylines here. Um, start digging, by the way. Here's, 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 here's your lesson for the day, all right? Start digging. Find all the things you can find in common with John Elway and Peyton Manning, both drafted by the Colts. Uh, both will finish as Broncos. Mm-hmm. The last year of Elway is the first year of Manning. I'm not going to give you any more, but that's, that's your assignment Tune for the weekend. Now.
That's your assignment for the weekend. Kevin Harlan of Westwood One. It's a great pleasure to nice finally to meet see you in you. person. Yeah, I enjoyed so our conversation. Absolutely. This I do remember it. I'm glad to I'm hear it. Not a very smart man. <laughs> not a very good looking man. But uh, I do remember the conversation. Well, now I'm going to hold you to a long phone conversation with me. Good. So you I better. Call me anytime. I, I hope I, you know I, that. I always, I'm talking to all these kids that falling asleep when I talk in class. <laughs> so I want to talk to guys that it means something to talk about the there business. You go. Kevin Harlan, thanks so much. Thank Appreciate you so much. All right, guys. Appreciate take it. care. Take care. Always a good time with Kevin Harlan. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. It really was. And I wasn't sure how I was going to bring up the phone conversation, Kenny, but I found a way to work. You know it in what? There. You just—I'm just sitting alone here on an island, and you're just—you're just—you're just doing your Harlan thing over <laughs> here. I don't—I don't know what's going on. Well, that's just the type of guy that Kevin Harlan is. We hadn't met until tonight, and I emailed him out of the blue. I said, "I'm an aspiring sportscaster. I'd love to talk to you about your career and getting into the business." And the guy spent a whole entire hour with me on the phone, right in the middle of his day Crazy. in the summer. And it was just a great pleasure to see one of the good guys in this business and one of the real great radio guys that doesn't get enough credit yeah. for what oh, he absolutely. does on Westwood One. Yeah, and he's saying a lot of great things, I'm sure, to Bob Aarons, who's right in front of him. I'm really just curious. I just I don't know what he's saying, but I really hope he's saying some good things. Anyway, um, yeah, I mean, you know, you always see him on TNT, and you never hear him on the radio because you're always at some Super Bowl party watching on TV, and, and you know, he's – I mean, he had a tough job last year doing it on the radio, and especially with the blackout, and then he had to do it on the phone. And he's, he's just, he's a, he's a great, he's an awesome guy. Now, speaking of the vocal cords, the first two minutes of the conversation I had with Harlan were him literally just dying coughing. I pick up the phone, I say, hi, this is DJ Sixsmith. And he goes, hi, this is Kevin. And he can't even breathe. But finally he gets into this whole conversation about how, you're, how you have to take care of your voice and all the questions to ask broadcasters and what they do on their days and preparing and how they go about it. And just such a smart guy when it comes yeah. to the broadcasting world. And one of the things that really resonated with, with me that I asked him about was all he wanted to do was radio. He never even envisioned being on TV and being the type of person he is. And it's pretty incredible because now his daughter wants to get into the industry and he warns her about all the different things that can happen. But what a great guy. I'm so happy to have Up him. Up high and down hard. <laughs> He's great. I mean, his, but listen to his football, honestly. Folks, if you get the chance, Folks. Westwood One's NFL coverage, they're going to be doing it all day long. His descriptions are just so great because things that you take for granted, like a chest-high catch or the way that the ball is thrown, it's just so majestic right. the way that he describes it. And like he was talking about. We're talking about the receiver's motion as he right. catches the ball. And you know what? He may be a split second or two behind the play, but the way he describes it certainly makes up for it. And that's and why. the words of our fearless leader, no, he's not behind. <laughs> he's not. And that's why Kevin Harlan is really one of the best in the business. And it was a great pleasure to have him on. And I didn't even think about all the comparisons between Peyton and Elway. I forgot that Elway was drafted right. no, I, by the I Colts. Just, I mean, I completely blanked on that. And that's just the type of research you have to do and being prepared for games, and Kevin really does it better than anyone else, and he only uses about a quarter of his research. I mean, this, we've talked to Ian Eagle about this. You really only yep, use yeah. less than like half of what you yeah. have. And mm -hmm. for a Super Bowl, just, just think about the blackout last year and how no one saw that coming, but here's Harlan with just a phone in his hand. He's got all the notes in the world, and that's where they come into play. That's where you can finally lean back on them. Kenny, we've, count, we've called countless Fordham games this year where we've barely – gotten into any storylines for the team but when the power goes out you never know what's going to happen yeah i mean i i mean as i was saying joking with him before i really hope it doesn't happen again with him i hope that it's you know this is something that'll never happen again because really for anyone involved for the tv sideline reporters who you know i mean they cbs you know had to go to commercial i mean it was 
Um, it was really, really crazy that just that whole that whole um, scenario there at the Super Bowl. But I mean, really good stuff from Kevin, and uh, definitely the first time I had met him just now. And he's a very energetic guy. You've been as a you big fan assume. for a while, Ken. And uh, well, you know, I'm an avid 2K player. I mean, not <laughs> whoa, whoa, sorry, not an avid 2K player. A great, maybe the greatest 2K player. So just, I'll leave that out there for everybody. I actually lost my, my copy scratched. So we got to help you out with if that. Any, if anyone out there has a copy <laughs> of NBA 2K14 that I could borrow uh, to like install on my Xbox, I would, I would appreciate that. DJ Sixsmith, Kenny Ducey here live at Radio Row, Times Square Sheridan Hotel, just past the five o'clock hour on the East Coast. So far, it's been a good show. We talked to Kevin Harlan, Mike Westoff. We got our conversation with Bob Papa coming up in a little bit. Clark Judge is going to join us as well. We're going to take some phone calls from you at home. Give us a ring, 718-817-2752. Anything about the Super Bowl, our predictions for Sunday, maybe even anything about covering an event like the Super Bowl, everything leading up to it from Media Day at the Prudential Center to this is now the second day that I've been here at Radio Row. Seen a lot of great people, and it's been a fun time so far. Yeah, we do have a tweet in from Jeff Trimmer at jtrim32. If the Seahawks win Super Bowl 48, do you see them starting a similar dynasty run like the Patriots did in the 2000s? I'll say a few things. One, Russell Wilson is not Tom Brady. Two, Pete Carroll is not Bill Belichick. And three, Pete Carroll is not Bill Belichick. Well, that's a very interesting question. It's a great, it's a great question. Because you got a young quarterback. Given the state of the NFC, the Seattle Seahawks and the San Francisco 49ers are going to be vying for Super Bowl appearances for the next five years, even the next seven or eight years because of where Kaepernick and Wilson are at right now. And they're so evenly matched. And I think after what San Francisco went through this past year, I think they come back reloaded. They need You need to go through those things sometime to get to the top to where you want to be. And, yes, the 49ers took a step back this year after making it to the Super Bowl. But I love that combination of Harbaugh and Kaepernick. But Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson are not a bad combo either. If Seattle can improve offensively, I say they have the advantage going forward. But I still think that San Francisco can jump right ahead of Seattle next year. I think Pete Carroll is a great coach. I, I just don't see him on the level of a Bill, a Bill Belichick. I don't know what it is about him. But um, why not? What if he wins the Super Bowl? You look at, He's won at USC. You look at all these no-nonsense guys. and to me, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's, Why can't you be a player's coach? It's I, different than it once was. I think was. Rex Ryan's a great coach. He's a player's coach. I mean, look, it's it's some of it is a personal vendetta against Pete Carroll for really no reason. You know I like to have those. But um, I, I just I see his I, – I, I don't think that he has done – obviously he's gotten to the Super Bowl, but I really think the Niners deserved it more this year. And I just – like you look at the quarterback relationships, for example, right? Like that's why Rex Ryan has not yet worked – because his relationship with with Sanchez, it's been kind of weird. But he's and, a defensive guy, right? Kenny. Well, the same. Well, the, hold on, but the same thing with Geno Smith, and then you look at Bill Belichick, right? His, his relationship with Tom Brady, just truly astounding. And you look at even Harbaugh with Kaepernick, instilling that trust in him to put him in over Alex Smith, take a a very very risky move. I, I don't. I, just like Russell Wilson's a very like I think like back straight up guy. He, he conducts himself very well. I think Pete Carroll is kind of you know a very loose and anything goes type of guy. I just don't see a personality match. Again, it's very young in their careers, so I you know it's it's very it's very out there. I think to say to make that kind of claim, but I, I don't know. I mean, look like let them prove me wrong. Let them prove me wrong. Still, just think about the decision for Carroll and going with Russell Wilson as a starting quarterback. He really right. stuck well, his on. neck did, out did, there. Come on, it's Matt Flynn. But still, it's Kenny. Matt, it's Matt Flynn, though. Even that, if it's, it's Matt, Matt Flynn, Flynn. Given the financial situation with Matt My Flynn, it's Matt. the logic would have been to go with him as a starting quarterback. But Pete Carroll saw something different 
in Russell Wilson that you can't measure in a stat sheet. And that's the reason why the Seattle Seahawks are in the Super Bowl. And for all the doubts that people have about Seattle's offense, you have to remember this is a guy in Russell Wilson who may not have the same pedigree as Peyton Manning in winning a ring already, but he's done it in college. He's starting to do it already in the National Football League, and I think he has a great opportunity to win this game on Sunday because Denver's offense is going to struggle against this Broncos, or excuse me, the Seattle defense and the Legion of Boom. Seattle has a great secondary. If their defensive line can get a hand on Peyton, then it's a totally different game, but Russell Wilson will be the reason why Seattle wins or loses this game. The defense is going to show up. That's a given. If Russell Wilson has his best game of the year, then Seattle is going to be just fine in this one. I, yeah, I, th- I agree with you. I mean, I, I don't know how confident I am in Russell Wilson having his greatest game uh, of his career, but look, I mean, he's a guy who's clearly been mentally prepared for these playoffs, and after a rough end of the season, um, I, I'm actually curious to see how his receivers re- receive him. I mean, not in the sense of receiving passes, but just, I mean, his attitude, you know, the attitude he's going to give off. I'm curious to see if a guy like Golden Tate can take the charge. And he's a guy who's, you know, yeah. he, he likes to clown around on the field. I mean, maybe he, you know, locks in. He has a great game. I think that a lot of the other guys on that offense, too, they're going to have to step up in a big way for them to win. And something you have to value, Kenny, is Super Bowl experience. Seattle has none of it. Peyton Manning now is playing in his third Super Bowl. And one of the things we'll talk about with Clark Judge is that sometimes it takes a couple quarters to really get acclimated. He discussed how Brett Favre in the championship game a few years back in his career didn't throw a good pass until the second quarter. And for Russell Wilson, who's never been on the stage before, he's going to have a difficult time, especially against a Denver defense that has been surprisingly good in the postseason, given their injuries against a San Diego team that Nick Costos think thinks is a better offense than Seattle's. Of course, everything with Tom Brady and the Patriots offense. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Seahawks come out a little bit sluggish, a little bit flat, because it's so hard to get acclimated to the biggest stage in the world. Peyton Manning, he's been there, done that, but that still doesn't mean he's going to have a great game. It's going to be a very interesting battle, and I think, Kenny, this is one of the most evenly matched games we've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, we've looked at the Super Bowl, man, I mean, you look at it, what, the past 15 years, it hasn't been very good um, up until these last five years, five, ten years, you've gotten very good competitive Super Bowls. But before that, it was a lot of blowouts. This is a very evenly matched one. I actually think that the Seahawks are going to come out a lot with a lot more energy than the Broncos are, but that's going to be their downfall. Um, you look at guys or, uh, games like this, it is always there's always one team that over-exhausts themselves early. It's, oh, there's always a team that's overly excited, that psychs themselves out right before the game a little too much, and they flop. And I think the Niners really did that. Remember the Niners last year were really bad in the first half, and then the second half they come out and, and they put together a comeback. But and they were too win. far behind, though. Right, but that's my old point, is that I think that the Niners were that team last year that was really excited to be there. They were young. They didn't have a lot of experience. They got amped up. They used all their energy. They were completely overhyped for the game, and I think the same thing might happen with the Seahawks, whereas you got a cool, collected guy like uh, you know Peyton Manning on the other side who might you know calm his team down. Wes Welker's been there before. They're going to know how to act early on in that game, and I don't know if the Seahawks will. I mean, it's just like look at last year's Super Bowl, right? For example, the the Ravens come out to like U2, and the <laughs> Niners come out to Tupac. But it's like such a huge difference because the Niners, they were psyched from, you know, from – Literally, introductions, they were so, I mean, Harbaugh is a guy who you know Harbaugh loves to show his energy. I really think that plays a big factor. It's how much energy are you actually, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, exuding. How much energy are you exuding before the game? 
718-817-2752 is the number. Again, 718-817-2752. We're also taking your questions at WFUV Sports on Twitter. DJ Sixsmith and Kenny Ducey hanging out on Radio Row, live from New York City. And looking at this Seattle team, Kenny, they only lost three times this season. One of those times was against the Indianapolis Colts in a game earlier on in the year. And turnovers could be a huge factor in this game because Seattle has been a team all year long that's taken good care of the ball. But still, if you go back in the vault, Marshawn Lynch is a guy early in his career that had some fumbling issues. Russell Wilson, good, accurate passer, but when he gets a little bit ahead of himself, can make some very dangerous, precarious throws. And especially in a game of this magnitude, the last thing that Pete Carroll wants to see is his quarterback trying to overextend himself. So much has been said about Russell Wilson being that game manager, what Alex Smith once was, but I really see Russell Wilson as the guy that can make plays down the field. He proved against a San Francisco defense that's better than the one he'll face against Denver. I think Russell Wilson is ready to take hold of this game if Marshawn Lynch is shut down because I don't know how good Marshawn Lynch will be. Even though our guy Nick Costos is picking him for the MVP, I really think this game is going to go squarely on the shoulders of Wilson. Well, you talk about this Seattle defense that you started talking about at the beginning here. I mean, they, they topped the league in takeaways. They had 39 interceptions. They led the league with 28. Turnover differential was plus 20. Um, they led the NFL in points allowed to 131, um, 273 and 610 yards per game. So we'll just call that 274 and uh, 172 yards per game. This is a great defense, the best defense in the league. This is only the fifth Super Bowl, DJ, that the top offense in the league and the top defense in the league have met each other. You look at the other, the other occurrences, and all but one of these games, and there were four times, obviously, before this, uh, have the have the offense won? I mean, four times, three times out of four, the defense has won. Look at Dallas, Pittsburgh, in 1978, Pittsburgh wins that one. Uh, they were the top defense in the league. San Francisco with the best defense against Miami in '84. The Niners took that one in '89. It was the Niners and the Broncos. The Broncos were that at that time the best defense. And the Broncos actually lost that game. Uh, and then in 1990, Super Bowl 25. Is that right? Twenty? Yes. It was, yeah. Well, 1990 was a really long time ago. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Buffalo and the Giants. It's before our and the, time. And the Giants, LT, take down the Bills. So, I mean, is that going to be a similar narrative? Is the top defense in Seattle going to take down Peyton Manning? I don't know. I, I, I honestly think that Peyton Manning is w one of the few guys you could say who could overcome this. But it's all about the pressure, Kenny, because, yes, Seattle's defense has a great secondary, but – if you're not touching Peyton Manning like the Patriots failed to do and just couldn't get a sack, then how are you possibly supposed to stop this Denver offense? Because they just have too many weapons, and God forbid they get the running game going. That's just lights out for Seattle because no Sean Moreno doing his thing to go along with Decker, Thomas, Julius Thomas as well. And just it, how are you supposed to stop it? You can't. Even if you're the best defense in the league, it's going to be extremely difficult. But I'll tell you what. If the Seahawks somehow, some way, figure it out, they've had a long time to think about this, a couple weeks now, I think they could go into the category as one of the best defenses of all time because this is just the beginning for them. I think in terms of starting a dynasty, defensively, they could really implement themselves as the best defense in the league for years to come. If guys stick around and they continue to follow suit with what Pete Carroll is saying, this could easily be a top five defense for the next five years. Yeah, I, I look, I think that could happen. I look, I mean, you look at um, the way that this defense could possibly win. I mean, I think of the weather. Uh, let's bring the weather into this because... You really think it's going to be a factor? 
Yes, the cold weather. I mean, and I don't think it's gonna. It's not gonna be as bad. It's as gonna Lambeau. be thirty-five degrees. Right, but I mean, I look. We know how it does get cold in New York at night games. You look at Yankee games in the fall, forty degrees. It really feels more like twenty. I mean, this could this could be a game that feels like twenty, fifteen degrees. It's going to be a cold game, in my opinion. Um, and the forecast says it's going to be relatively cold. I think I think it'll be colder than we we think in terms of when she's on the field. So, and. That usually tends to favor short yardage teams. I mean, the Broncos are a short yardage team. The Seahawks are also a short yardage team. So I don't think that, I mean, people have been making the case that Peyton Manning, considering he throws it a lot and there's the wind and there's the cold, that Russell Wilson has the edge. I think this is pretty evenly matched in that aspect. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know really what else there is to talk about because about New York because that's really the one concern for a lot of fans and a lot of media members is that the, the weather is going to basically, you know, hit the league and say, oh, we never want it here in New York But again. I think the wind is the bigger issue. Right, but when we talked to, I think like Nick said that the wind might not even be a factor. And I, Look, the wind might be, even so, with though, Peyton Manning, because he does throw those those high-arcing passes, could, could potentially cause some problems, but I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. And Giant fans out there can certainly attest to this. Think about how long it wasn't putting up the numbers that were expected of a number one pick, and one of the biggest reasons was because he was playing with the wind's of the Meadowlands. They're so difficult to cut through, especially for a guy like Peyton Manning. And yes, he did it against the Giants earlier this year, but it's one thing to play in October, Kenny. It's a whole other conversation if you're playing on a Sunday night in February in New York City outside. And look, I don't think it's that big a deal about the weather with Peyton Manning. He's playing in Denver. He's done it for the last two years. He knows the cold. He'll be okay. But I understand where people are coming from. Look at Drew Brees earlier this year in the postseason playing at Philadelphia. It took him a whole half of football to get into the rhythm he ultimately did to lead them to a victory. Then at Seattle, he never looked comfortable. Peyton Manning is a little bit different. I don't think he's as afraid of the weather. Drew Brees has a real discomfort with playing in cold weather. And regardless of what the temperature is going to be, I think Peyton Manning fully knows what he's getting into. The team has practiced outside for the last two days for an hour and a half. The weather is something that is just going to go right over his head because as soon as the adrenaline starts rolling, the only focus is going to be that Seattle defense and how to break through it. Peyton Manning won't care about anything else. Yeah, and actually looking at the forecast now, it's supposed to get to 50 degrees on Sunday, and then it, it should dip down a little bit. I, I would expect maybe around 40, but winds at 9 miles an hour. Um, I'm actually ex- I'm excited. It's been really cold here in New York, so we're finally getting some warmer for warmer weather. But um, maybe it won't play as big a factor as we as we think. I still I still believe it's going to dip. Because it, it, it usually does, especially, you know, at night in the Meadowlands. I mean, you've been to some of those games. Mm-hmm. and They can get brutal. Yeah, I mean, they can. So, I, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting dynamic. It's outside, and it's not in the summer. So, we'll see. Or, I mean, it's not in, in summer-type climate for New York, like, you know, Houston or, or Florida. So, Kenny, of course, with every Super Bowl, we get that eternal reminder and connection to Fordham University with Vince Lombardi's name on the trophy. That's one of the many things we discussed with Bob Papa, who now joins us here on NFL Friday. DJ Sixsmith with WFEV alum, the voice of the New York football giants, Bob Papa. Bob, you've been calling the Giants since 95. You grew up in Jersey. Tell me what this week has been like for you, having both New Jersey and New York involved in the Super Bowl. It's been a lot of fun. It's something I thought I'd never see, a Super Bowl coming to the New York metropolitan area. It's been cold during the course of the week, but it looks like for game time, Everything should be pretty good. But it's, it's, a, it's a nice thing. It makes you feel proud as a native New Yorker uh, to see New York City all dressed up and, 
the Empire State Building lit up every night in the different teams' colors and uh, Super Bowl Boulevard. It's kind of a really neat thing. Now, with every Super Bowl, there's the eternal reminder of Fordham University with Vince Lombardi's name on the trophy. This Sunday, a little bit special with Vince Scully speaking about Lombardi. How excited are you to hear what our good friend Scully has to say? Well, uh, you know, any time you can hear Vince Scully talk about anything, it's, uh, it's, it's a really special deal. But, you know, it, it kind of brings it all together. And as a Fordham man, it makes you really proud to know that there's that tie and, you know, Wellington Mara and the Mara family and the Giants and Lombardi and his tie to the Giants and Vince Scully and Fordham. So, yeah, again, it just makes you really proud to be a Fordham guy. And another legendary sportscaster with ties to the New York Giants organization is Pat Summerall. We lost him this year. You knew him as a broadcaster. Your father knew him as a football player. You got the chance to see him kick. Did you guys ever trade around a few stories about Pat playing in, back in the day? Well, yeah, my dad and my uncle were in Yankee Stadium when he made the famous kick in the snow that was debated as to whether he made it or not. And my dad tells the story. He was on the field standing in the end zone, and he said the kick was definitely good. I mean, I know it's always been disputed whether he made it or not, because remember, the uprights weren't as high as they are. They weren't fluorescent yellow. Uh, it was a whole different deal, but my dad will verify that the kick was good. There you have it, folks. All right, so looking forward to the big game now. The Giants played both the Seahawks and the Broncos earlier this season. Who do you think has the biggest advantage playing at MetLife Stadium? Um, I think if we get some wind, which we're not expected to get, but you never know at nighttime in that stadium on that property. It can gust at times. I think that favors Seattle because they play a running, rugged style of football. Denver needs to put the ball in the air a little bit more, although they have a pretty good running game as well. But I've been saying all along the winner this year of the Super Bowl would be an NFC team. I said it was either San Francisco, Carolina, or Seattle because they played that outdoor physical style that was needed. So I'm sticking with Seattle to win this. All right, Bob, we're here at Radio Row. I want to know who's the most interesting interview you've had this week? Wow, that's a good question. We've had, I mean, I, we started one show off with Joe Montana. Anytime you talk to Joe Montana, it's unbelievable. But we've had probably 15 Hall of Famers on, which is always cool. Mike Haynes, the former Oakland Raider, was great. We've had a lot of giant guys on. We had Eli on. We've had a lot of former giants on. Um, there's one guy that I talked to from Chicago. He's got a foundation. He's a retired military man. He's got this foundation called Pizzas for Patriots. And he's from Chicago. And what he does is he gets the U.S. military and he coordinates it with different pizza places. And they have pizza made specifically for the troops. And he said that on Super Bowl Sunday, no matter where you are, in Afghanistan, Iraq, where, wherever men and women are defending democracy, they airdrop pizzas in so that the troops can enjoy a slice of home on Super Bowl Sunday. That's certainly a great story. Now, speaking to the Hall of Fame, your guy Derek Brooks is up for his induction this weekend. What are you thinking? Do you think he gets the nod? I'm hoping, but I, I'm cautiously optimistic um, because I understand that the process that goes on. They only get to put five guys in of the modern era, and you've got a bunch of guys that have been waiting for a couple of years, waiting for their turn. Then every so often you get a jump the line guy, like when Jerry Rice was up. So he jumps the line, which pushes guys back again. Um, I, I'm really good friends with Shannon Sharp. Everyone thought he was going to get in on the first go around. He was the all-time leading receiver for tight ends. He didn't get in right away. So I'm just, I've been preparing Derek for the fact that might not happen. Just like last year, I told everybody at the Giants, they were all excited about Michael Strand. I said, there's no guarantee he's getting in. I know it feels like he should, 
I'm hoping he gets in this year. But they only get to put five in. And, and, and talking with, like, Chris Carter and some other Hall of Famers, this year they sent the Hall of Famers um, a ballot sheet, and they said, we want your input. Who do you think should get in? And I said, you see, it's not that easy now because all of a sudden you got these 15 names, and you're saying they should all get in, but you can only pick five. And he said what his criteria is is if I was start drafting a team and I was a GM, who would I take? He told me he would take Marvin Harrison over Tim Brown and Andre Reid. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. Now, Bob, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about the Giants. Obviously, it was a disastrous season. So going forward, what's the next step for this team? How do they rebuild what they have to fix right now? They've got to fix their offensive line because it's a mess. I mean, Deal retired. David Boss has had seven surgeries in the last calendar year. Uh, Chris Snee is coming off multiple hip surgeries. Beattie got hurt in the regular season finale. And some of the young guys that they've drafted over the last couple of years haven't done anything. They need to go find guys, uh, whether it's via the draft or um, a couple of veteran guys that they can plug in and play right away. Because if they can't run the ball better, they're not going to be productive offensively. You can't be last in the league in rushing. You can't give up that many hits on the quarterback. Eli got hit more this year than he did like the last three years combined. It's not conducive to being successful. Bob, finally, it's been a crazy week here with the Super Bowl. You go right to Sochi for the Winter Olympics. What sports are you going to be doing? How the heck are you going to make the transition to Russia? Uh, I will. I'll have a long plane flight to do it. I leave on Monday. Uh, I'll be working for NBC. It's my 10th Olympics for them. First one was in 92. And I will be doing ski jumping and Nordic combined. And one of the exciting things about ski jumping, this is the first time they have women's ski jumping in the Olympics. And the women ski from the same, do the ski jumping from the same uh, ramp as the men. They start from the same spot as the men, and they go just as far as the men. So it'll be interesting to see who has the longest distance. Always a pleasure chatting with Bob Papa, voice of the New York Giants, WFUV alum. Bob, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Hey, enjoy the rest of Super Bowl week, and thanks for having me. How about Papa going from Super Bowl week right to Sochi? That's a rough transition, Ken. It is. I mean, I I could not imagine doing that. I could not imagine, like a lot of the a lot of the the trips that these guys make, like Kevin and, and Bob, you know, just just flying everywhere. Um, I hope that you know, I, I hope that it goes well. I, I hope that the uh, Olympics, I, the Olympics are usually pretty fun to watch, and I'm sure fun to broadcast. So all the best to him. And one thing that I forgot to ask Bob about was Marty Glickman's influence on him, because we talked about Pat Summerall in the interview. We talked about Vince Lombardi, Vince Scully. And it was very interesting because as Papa was growing his national brand as a broadcaster with Westwood One and doing the Masters and NFL Network and all the other things, Marty always reminded him to have that foundation of the local market. Maintain your footing in New York City as the voice of the New York Giants. And that's something he's done since the 90s and 95. And it just goes to show the type of impact that Glickman had as a broadcaster with the Giants for all those years and then growing so many greats starting with Bob Papa at Fordham and his last student was Spiroditis. It's just incredible advice that really helped Bob Papa develop as a broadcaster. Yep, guy who's, you know, Kevin mentioned his name. He's a guy very well known and, and surely his legacy felt here at the station. Now, speaking of another Fordham alum, we had Bob Papa on. I caught up with Giants president and CEO John Mara, asked him a quick question about Vin Scully and everything with him talking in the pregame show. Let's roll that clip and hear what he had to say.
Um, the Fordham question. Uh, Vince Scully is going to be talking about Vince Lombardi on the Fox pregame show. What do you think about a little Fordham love coming to the <laughs> national media? Yeah, that's that's a pretty cool thing. And Lombardi, obviously, um, uh, is a great name in NFL history and is a very close personal friend of my family's. Uh, is my brother's godfather. And uh, uh, I think that's pretty cool that Vince Scully is uh, doing that. And how about Mary? Just continuing to show that Fordham love. And incredible that Lombardi even has a connection to the Mara family. And I'm sure Wellington would be smiling right now. He, I'm sure he is smiling from up above. If he had been here to experience a New York Super Bowl, I'm sure he would have loved it, Kenny. Yeah. Um, I, I think that you know everyone was waiting for this moment to come. And, and you know the fact that it finally has is special for a lot of people, including the Mara family. Um, you know, just it makes you, you know... Uh, Makes you wish he was still here, yes. And let's give Woody Johnson the credit he deserves because back in 2010 when all the owners were meeting in Dallas and this idea first came to the forefront, Johnson really pushed it, and that's one of the things he said at the press conference with the host committee, working with the Maras and the Tishes. But it was really Johnson who saw this as, a, as something that was viable, like we talked about with Westoff. He wanted that West Side Stadium. He's just always wanted the big game here in New York. And for, it, for him to finally see it come to fruition, the guy who – is famously always wearing his Jets hat, even if he's rocking a suit as well. So a lot of hard work went into this week, and those people certainly deserve a lot of credit, Ken. Yeah, Woody Johnson, you know, I think he gets bashed far too much um, by pretty much pretty much everyone around this, around this area. I mean, people like to get mad at him for going on you know, political talk shows and, you know, saying he, you know, supports his political party, which... Uh, I've never really understood. The guy's any... just enjoying his life as the right. owner of the Jets. Can right. you blame him? Right. We do I've, the same exact yeah. thing. I've never really understood where a lot of that comes from. Um, honestly, you know, you look, the guy puts a lot of work into, into you know, putting the best staff together to, to get these Jets uh, a Super Bowl that, he, you know, he, he so desperately wants. And, um, you know, he, he works very hard. You heard from Mike Westoff. He's very committed. He cares about the fans, you know, to – the fact that he's the, the fact that he's just you know simply like th- there was a huge controversy when he said that you know he, he wanted a Republican in the White House you know the maybe guy's or, entitled maybe to in his, his opinion I mean he, he's also a citizen he's not just the owner right, of the Jets right so I mean it's look it's not like he, he doesn't care about football when he says something like that but I mean it's just look that, you know clearly a guy who's very influential and very uh, very very much a caretaker in, in the Jets organization really cares about you know stability and you know it's evidenced by rex ryan staying Mm -hmm. on and um you know a lot of the guys that he's he's had including mike who speaks so highly of him so um you know it certainly is good to hear another great comment that came out of that press conference monday morning was when someone asked john mayer about the idea of the seahawks using the giants facilities and the broncos being there as well and he says, you know what, at least it's better than the Dallas Cowboys. And <laughs> you know what, the way the Giants season went, it certainly wasn't ideal, but at least the Cowboys, the 49ers, are really one of the Giants teams that they played over the years in the playoffs isn't representing them in their own building. Yeah, I mean, I really wish it was the 49ers. And the 49ers really, to, my, to me, deserve to be in this Super Bowl. Uh, I, really th- I really think the 49ers are the best team in the NFC. I mean, everyone... Uh, I was asked this question the other day, you know, okay, well, you know, we finally get the two best teams, you know, the best team in the AFC, best team in the NFC. The Niners were literally a foot, maybe, no, 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 two inches away from in to, from being in the Super Bowl. If he tr- if Colin Kaepernick throws his pass two inches above Richard Sherman's hand, uh, you know, like he said to uh, Bart Hubbock of the New York mm-hmm. Post, a foot higher, they're in the Super Bowl. Yeah. He makes a miraculous throw. It's a great comeback. 
They were that close. Their defense is, to me, right up there with the Seahawks, and they have so many weapons on offense. Michael Crabtree was just starting to come around, you know, off of his injury. Kaepernick was running very well in the playoffs. That was a really dangerous team. Kaepernick had really a bad season, so um, he he came down the stretch and really turned it on in the Super Bowl, or in these playoffs, he's done very well, and I really think in the Super Bowl he would have done very well, and I, I think they deserve to be here, but nonetheless, I mean, it's it's not the Niners that we're talking about. And I'm sure the Jets wouldn't have wanted the Patriots in their building either. Just the idea of Bill Belichick using Rex Ryan's offense, I don't think that would have sat too well with Jets fans. I didn't, I didn't really even think about that, to be honest. I didn't, I mean, the, <laughs> the Patriots have, have had so many moments at, at MetLife Stadium over the years that, you know, it, it just kind of... You forget about them. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. I mean, the butt fumble was here. Yeah, that's I true. Mean, you know, nothing's going to get worse than that. We'll never you know, forget I that. I don't care if the Patriots <laughs> win a Super Bowl. That's not going to be worse than that. All right, another guy who knows the New York area very well is Chris Mad Dog Russo from all his years on WFAN. Now he's got his own channel on Sirius XM. I caught up with him earlier today to talk about the Super Bowl, his favorite moments, and the Super Bowl week in New York City. Let's hear what he had to say. DJ Sixsmith with Chris Mad Dog Russo. Chris, you've worked in the New York area for a long, long time. Did you ever think we'd see a Super Bowl here in the Big Apple? Uh, you know, I would have said no. Uh, my first Super Bowl in 1990, you're always thinking warm weather, uh, nice compact cities. Uh, you know, but once they started giving Super Bowls to cities that built stadiums, you started to think a little differently. And since obviously Woody and Mr. Mara built this stadium, you know, you knew there was certainly a possibility that they could put a Super Bowl here. I could see another one coming here, too, in the next decade. I don't think they're going to play in any other city, but I could see another one here down the road. Uh, but I, I still think they prefer to be in the warmer weather. And I think they're a little worried about being overwhelmed by the city of New York. And these other towns, the Super Bowl is the focal point. Hasn't been as much here, so I think they're a little worried about that, too. Now, speaking of other Super Bowls, you've covered many. How does New York Super Bowl week compare to some of the past? Uh, I mean, again, it's, um, well, it's, it's a little trickier because in the other events, you know, everything is more compact. So when you go to Indianapolis, uh, when you go to New Orleans, when you go to some of the other cities, everything is right on top of you. Detroit is not too far away. Here, it's, you know, you got the teams over there in New Jersey. Media Day is in New Jersey. The media is in New York. It's a little different. So it's a little more spread out. And media likes the Super Bowl when you can walk to all the events. Plus, Media Day was in an arena, and most Media Days are in stadiums. And the stadium is a little better. The arena was a little cramped and all those kinds of things. So, you know, there are some adjustments. I don't want to knock it because it's, you know, once it's probably a pretty good idea. Uh, I can't gauge it from what everybody else thinks. I'm commuting back and forth, so it's a little different for me. I'm not as engaged in this one as I've been engaged with in the past because I live here. So it's a little different. So you've been doing interviews all week long. Is there a favorite that sticks out, the most interesting person you've talked to this well, week? Well, Deion Sanders and I had a fight about the throwing a bucket of water on Tim McCarver, <laughs> uh, and that was interesting. That's one. And uh, Mike Bass and Gerald, your premium was a good spot. Uh, Bass, of course, the former Redskin who made the interception on your premium in Super Bowl Seven, a wild, wacky play. Both were on together, and Bass was the last draft pick of Lombardi with the Packers in 67. And he ended up with the Redskins with Lombardi three years later. That was interesting. So those two, they come to think of it right out of the gate. And then finally, speaking of that moment, is there another Super Bowl moment that sticks out as one of your favorites of yeah, all the time? the first one I did uh, in New Orleans, uh, during the week we went to John Madden's suite at a New Orleans hotel. That was a CBS game. 
And again, there weren't that many media there. It was like two stations. And we went to Madden's suite, and he had the telestrator up. He had a big screen up in his suite. And he was giving you all the plays about what San Francisco was going to do to Denver. And look, they can't stop this. They can't stop Jerry Rice. Look at this. Look at that. Lo and behold, we walked out of there thinking, geez, Denver's got no chance. 55-10 San Francisco. So John hit it right on the button. Serious XM's Chris Mad Dog Russo Dog. Thanks for the time. You got it. Appreciate it. Good job, guys. Okay, back here on Radio Row, alongside Kenny Ducey, I'm DJ Sixsmith. Alicia Montanero is in the house as well, one of our own here at WFUV Sports. Alicia, tell the folks at home about your connection to Mad Dog Rusa. Well, my dad and my aunt are actually from Syosset, where he grew up, and my aunt used to be his babysitter when um, <laughs> he was about five or seven years old. So little dog, then. five Jeez. or six Jeez. years. Can you imagine little dog? I mean, that guy must have been full of emotion, talking at an early age. God bless your aunt for dealing with him. As a I'm going to have to ask her about it and tell you guys about it later. We need to know how much she got paid we need, to, we need to know the stress she went through or you know what maybe dog was just a, a nice clean cut kid and no. just was an easy nah. kid to babysit for kenny were you an easy kid to babysit for oh i would just <laughs> go downstairs and watch baseball all the whole time actually sure. i was very easy to babysit for i literally i remember just many times i mean obviously i didn't want to ever go to bed like i would want to keep watching you know like the world series was the one exception i could Stay up past my bedtime, watch the World Series, which was great. But I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you were just, you know, you had the headset on in the womb. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, so. I've been broadcasting since age one. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Alicia, let's talk about your experience with Super Bowl week so far. You're here at Media Row, the circus with over thousands of people. What do you think about everything you've seen today so far? It's been awesome here today. I've seen so many people here, so many different radio stations, and just an irreplaceable experience to be here today with you guys. Favorite celebrity moment so far? We saw Jennifer Gardner walking around. Is that top in the list for you? Because it's certainly close on my list. Uh, well, yeah, Nick and I try to follow her around to get her to interview <laughs> with us. But she was all booked for today. So. And I'll tell you what, you know, Nick Legerifo, he's a strapping young fellow, good-looking guy. But you know what, he's not going to woo Jennifer Gardner. It's just, he just doesn't do it. just doesn't move the needle, unfortunately, Kenny. Yeah, you, you, need, you need a guy like me to go over there and get Jennifer Gardner. But I don't know. I mean, you know, it, I, I think the celebrity moments for me, I don't know if you we saw We wouldn't want her to leave the hotel, Kenny. Come yeah, on. The cast of Workaholics was good. We saw the cast of Workaholics, and that's a new show on Comedy Central in their we, third we season. Only, we only got a picture with Blake, and he's like my least favorite character hey, you know, we still got him. And I do. I like Blake, though. Blake's cool. Blake's cool. Alicia, let's talk about the Super Bowl a little bit. Denver, Seattle. You've heard Kenny and I drone on about it. What yeah, do you think is the biggest factor on Sunday evening for these two teams? I'm not sure. Um, I am definitely think I'm going to go with the Broncos for this one just because I'm a Peyton fan. I like Eli, the there Giants, so Keep it kind of the biased, family. but... We'll see how it goes on Sunday. Right. Good work. Alicia Montanero, she was running around for us all no, day. No, we, we don't care about you, Jake. She, what are you, what are you doing? She even you brought here? The, the staff ordered pizza, and I'm gluten-free. And Alicia ran across the street and got me chicken and vegetables and rice, and I will forever remember that. So. <laughs> I'll, I'll forever remember the raised pizza that she got me. Honestly. <laughs> pizza's pizza is very good. Alicia, thanks so much for that Thank great anecdote. Take it easy. All right, so. We're keeping it rolling here on WFUVsports.org. We're bringing in all our finest from FUV. Now it's our favorite movie man. I already told you, Jake. We're not getting Jake Kring on. We Trifles. don't care about you. Hey, He's here. That's not very nice. So you were at the press your conference. Your hair is interesting today, by the way. Is it? It is. Because you, you've been doing different things with your hair, I've noticed. You know, you, you used Explain to go. the hair. Well, you used to go. It was kind of like a flat, like almost to the side. And sometimes it sticks up. And now it's. It, it, it's a it's a comb to the from the left to the right. I've really been utilizing the comb a lot. Yeah. I, have you changed gels though? 
I think I've been going with Axe for a while. Axe gel for uh, a while. You're you know what? Sellout. I had to. You know, I stayed with you. I, I stayed in your apartment one night last summer because it was it was tough for me. You know, Yankee game after Yankee night game, day game after night game. Yeah, you woke me up at like two a.m. I think. That <laughs> night. I had to go to my internship at, at, at six in the morning. But the, that you were axe, definitely difficult to babysit that, for. I buy that hundred percent. That axe, that axe hair gel, man. Okay, let's, let's, it, it didn't work for me. Let's that bring day. it back to football. Draft day, new yes. movie. Kevin Costner, yes. Jennifer new Gardner. Movie. You saw it. You were a little bit underwhelmed with it. Explain to the fans at home why. Well, listen, this is a, one of those movies where <laughs> and, and, and I, Kevin Costner has a clip that we, we have, um, but essentially, it, I'll, we'll play it soon, but he, he makes the point that this is not just a sports movie. It's a movie for everybody, even the non-sports fans. So what happens with that Immediately, kind of movie... Immediately, that's a D in Jake's book. Well, what happens with that is <laughs> then you appeal to all the emotional side effects of having a love interest and a mother interest, and it somewhat blocks it out the plot. It was a little plot. bit sappy for it's you, It's a little Jay sappy. It gets a little cliche. Uh, this was Kevin DJ Costner, knows all though. about those cliches. This was Kevin Costner about, about what makes uh, this movie really inspirational for a lot of people in terms of understanding what it is like on draft day. I think Field of Dreams opened the door for, it's not just a man's movie, a boy wanting to play catch with his dad, things gone unspoken. I think a movie's requirement that it, 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 it has to work. And, and I think there's a good girl-boy element. There has to be the relationship that Dennis and I have. Um, and for people who don't know sports, when you actually watch what Chadwick does at the end of the movie, um, there's a lot of athletic arrogance that comes with a person who's going to be the number one pick. You don't get there by mistake. You have to have the physical tools. But what's good about the movie is it sets up his history. He's taking care of his, his grandmother's raised him. He's now taking care of her. He takes care of kids. And, and whatever arrogance he has being clearly in his own mind, you know, one of the better players in the country, when he's absolutely selected, it changes his life. And while the whole room is going crazy, Chadwick's character weeps, just weeps. And so that is something that anybody can understand, having their dream come true. And that's why this movie crosses over. Might I just add... He weeps, just weeps. Might I just add that Chadwick Boseman, the guy they're talking about, mm -hmm. was the guy who played Jackie Robinson in last year's movie 42. Ah, you're you're a big fan of that. It took me a while to actually realize that it was him on screen. He had a beard. He gained 40 pounds because he's a linebacker in this movie. And wow. Jackie Robinson, wasn't, he wasn't that physically built in that movie. I don't think I could, I don't think I could gain 40 pounds if I wanted to. That would be really I tough. I wish I could. You'd have to eat a, like five protein shakes a day before you go to bed. That's rough. Um, but one other thing. We were talking about Jennifer Garner. Yes. And how we Nick were talking about Jennifer perilously Garner. trying to go after. Well, you know. Obviously, there's a lot of men in this uh, radio row. Yes. There's a lot of athletes, a Lots lot of guys of photographing athletes. Well, Jennifer Garner, her first time speaking at the press conference, this is what, this is what uh, took place. Jennifer, how did you prepare for your role? Well, uh, I play the alley, and she is the head of the salary cap. So... You guys have been shooting a lot of boys, haven't you? You're just <laughs> glad to see a chick walk in the room. So, I don't yeah. know if you guys heard that, but as soon as she basically opened her mouth, 80,000 photographers start snapping their photos, and she goes, you know, well, there's a lot of boys. You've been, you've been photographing a lot of boys recently, <laughs> haven't you? This is like the first time they get to photograph a, a, an important person, woman, that's speaking. <laughs> So, Jake, I want to talk to you about Media Day a couple okay. days ago. You were at The Rock. 
what were some of your favorite moments, those moments that are going to stick with you when you look back in a few years down the road? Well, one, one, I, had a, I had one really special moment. I'll, I'll get to that. The first, the first thing I love about Media Day, and I wrote this in a, in a piece I wrote a couple days ago, is I love just observing just the chaos that is Media Day. There's so many crazy people there and, and just random media yeah, celebrities. Cause like, like our job is like weird because we don't really have a job at these things like you know what i mean so you can kind of just like you could just though everyone's yeah. everyone has to do a story like he's there doing a story on richard sherman's dog growing up or you know it's we're about, just the rovers it's we about are manhattan, always getting manhattan around. clam chowder I mean, versus new england clam chowder people with are asking you know, west Walker, you know? people are asking west Walker what his favorite band is to listen to before the game he says kings of leon they say why kings of leon <laughs> that needs a follow-up first of all and then he goes uh I, I why like, not leon of kings i like the words and i like the beats Oh, interesting. That's interesting. a great article. Well, now, now, what are now what are the the, the beat? What are beats? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's these questions that are just off the wall all the time. We, we talk about these types of things on our oh, podcast. Yeah. You check out our podcast on deck. <laughs> WFB at our slash on deck. New episode up on Thursday. It was good. It was. Listen, listen it was a it. lot of fun. And the funny thing was, you know, you, you, first of all, you see Regis Philbin walk in. Everyone like starts magnetized also on our podcast and then all of a sudden he is talking to a spanish reporter like, <laughs> yeah, it's just the funny. weirdest image i've ever seen but I, the coolest moment for me in media day was i'm a penn state fan been been one for a long time my grandpa has season tickets we go to went to a lot of games during high school michael robinson i got to go to the orange bowl when penn state played florida state mm-hmm. in the orange bowl really special moment they won that game in triple overtime wow. it was a great thing so i see michael robinson at the at media day i got to go talk to him about it Ask him what the difference is between Orange Bowl and Super Bowl, and he gives me an answer. It's, it's, it's a cool thing. And then I look over to my left, and I notice this guy, and I'm like, who is this person? Because I, I was like, he, is he a Philly guy? Maybe I know him from the Philadelphia area. And, and then somebody is. asks him a question. He says, hey, Michael, uh, take a look down this road. You, you recognize your coach? And he, and he looks down, and I'm like, oh, it's Jay Paterno, wow. his quarterback's coach at Penn State. And so I'm sitting right next to him. I immediately introduce myself. Say I'm a big Penn State fan. It was a really cool moment to see past Penn Staters that I had kind of grown up with That's together. Cool. So yeah. only at media day that can happen. All right, Kring, before we get you out of here, prediction for the Super Bowl. Which way are you leaning? Prediction Peyton, time. Peyton hoisting number two for the Lombardi Trophy or Russell Wilson fully coming in and winning his first Super Bowl? I am gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with Seattle on this one. It's been really. It's been really oh, yeah, got the music. Prediction got music. The music. I'll tell you. I'll break it down like this. Okay, last the the championship game between the, the 49ers and you the Seahawks. You should see his face right now. It's great. Now, if you notice, Colin Kaepernick, you guys mentioned it. Very light on his feet. Can move around in the pocket. Yes. Yep. Made a lot of plays outside the pocket. Yes. Peyton Manning doesn't run. Yes. The Seahawks. They're gonna collapse that pocket. They run. They are the number one defense. They're going to get him. Peyton Manning is going to go down a lot more than he did against the He's Patriots. He's going to go down, folks. I think it's going to be clearly a defensive victory for the Seahawks. Yes. I think overall they're going to win. And no. Really? <laughs> okay. 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 Here we He's go. He's giving you a hard time. No, I, but I, listen, no, I, like, I, I, like, I like what you're saying. I, do. I like the Seahawks in this one. Get Percy Harvin back. You mix it up. Doug Baldwin really emerged uh, two weeks ago. I think he's got to play a big factor and. You know what? I really like the Seahawks defensively in the colder weather. I'm going to go Seahawks. It's going to be close, but Seahawks. Now, you do. You are from Seattle. Yeah, that might play a part of it, I guess. He spent a little time in the Pacific Northwest. Well, Jake Kring Schreifels, he's always all over the movies for us here at FUV. Check out his work online at WFUVsports.org. Jake, Check out on thanks deck, for giving us a few minutes. WFUV.org slash on deck. Happy to be here, guys. Thanks. Right. Jake, loving it. <laughs> loving everything. Loving all of that right there. The hair, the shirt. 
this rifles. WFUV Sports, keeping it real here on Radio Row as we near the 6 o'clock hour on the East Coast. Thanks for being with us online. One might say we're keeping it trill. Alongside Kenny Ducey, always providing the great lines. I'm DJ Sixsmith. We'd love to hear what you have to think out there in Radio Land, 718-817-2752. Again, the number is 718-817-2752. And, of course, hit us up on Twitter, at WFUV Sports. Certainly some more things that we can talk about here. Our conversations coming up with Clark Judge and Lee Steinberg, the agent like, who battled through many different problems. Just like and so many guests. It's nuts. That's what you do it's with great. these shows. you got to load them up. What so, a so many interesting people lineup. here. Yeah. Eric and McGrand, like, 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 Lisa at, Leslie. Right, and like, look at like the people we got on today. right? Mike, we got a special teams, legendary special teams coordinator in Mike Westoff. Then you get an agent. Then you get a sports analyst. In, in Clark Judge and a writer. Then you get, you know, Nick Costos, who's a producer and does some stuff on the radio. Then Kevin Harlan, a play-by-play voice. I mean, they're just, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. We had John Brinkus from Sports Science, who we'll hope to get you. I mean, it's really crazy the amount of people we've been able to get on. But just like the diversity. You don't do all the, you don't That's do the, the biggest same thing, thing, the diversity. Right. And whether or not they're associated with the Super Bowl, so many different people are here, whether it's to promote different things or just to experience everything that is Super Bowl week in New York City. It's so great when you're in a place like this, the epicenter of the world. Everything converges here in New York City. And for the Super Bowl week to be here in two different states, in New York and New Jersey, I mean, it just it's just been a blast so far this week. And one of the guys who's been along for the ride is Nick Legerifo. He was at Media Day. He was with us here earlier at Radio Row. Nick, you were trying to flag down Joe Theismann, Tiki Barber. You continue to strike out, my friend. I won't even mention the Jennifer Gardner fiasco. <laughs> hey, that was that was the, unfair. Those were a couple low blows here. You I was got, next like, to you guys. Dude, <laughs> you have the worst luck. And even Joe Theismann. Les, remember Les Miles at the draft? You got Les Miles. Yeah, that is Nick Legerfo interviews Les Miles at the NFL draft, and magically the Sandisk card from the recorder, just disappeared. Just disappeared on the just has some bad the whole luck. Thing, just I remember the whole handing thing it off to Dom Nardone, who was on the sports staff <laughs> last year. The, the chip ended up vanishing. There's no record of that ever happening. So, hey, you know what? It's not my day today. And media day, Jake tells me the brick didn't work because the card malfunctioned. <laughs> you should. This is ridiculous. All right, Nick, let's I, bring I, know what, I need to give you a hug. I'm <laughs> let's, let's bring it back to football now. The Super Bowl has been so evenly matched, and we really have broken it down. If Peyton Manning wins another Super Bowl, is he the greatest quarterback of all time, given what he did in the regular season? I know Joe Montana has more rings. I know Tom Brady has more rings. But where will Peyton Manning rank if he hoists the Lombardi Trophy a second time? I I don't know if he's number one all time definitively, but I will say it definitely puts him in the top two. Um, Is Montana your first guy? I I would say Montana is just because of the rings. Still ahead of Bradshaw, who has four rings as well? Four rings. I I think Montana is, is, yeah, he's still number one. Uh, You just look at the body of work that he was able to do. But you look at what Peyton Manning was able to accomplish, and and we were talking about this on Wednesday when I was hosting here uh, with Nolan. And uh, basically, you just look at this what this guy has done. He has been the centerpiece of both teams that he was with, Indianapolis with all those years, and then here in Denver, he's still the centerpiece of this team. And for him to win at a high level in this point in his career, after those four neck surgeries just four months away, or four months prior to this season, you know, it's just incredible. Isn't that incredible? The guy really shouldn't even be playing anymore, given all the neck procedures that he went through in his career. And after being let go by the Indianapolis Colts, the Broncos really took a chance on Peyton Manning, a guy that was late into his 30s and 
after yeah. last season failing against the Baltimore Ravens when really everything was stacked up in their favor last year to go to the Super Bowl. And I think they probably would have even won it last year. But still, to get there in year two, yeah. if they can't finish it off, that's just going to be so devastating for this team. Yeah, you, you mentioned it. Uh, Peyton Manning was just a Hail Mary throw away from potentially going to the Super Bowl last year. But uh, things just didn't work out for him, and now he's got another chance at it. And I just think going into this game, he's just got a chip on his shoulder. He, he is so driven towards this goal of getting this Super Bowl championship. I, I really doubt that the Seattle Seahawks are going to be able to stand in his way. I get that they're a great defense. I get that they have Richard Sherman in the secondary. Yeah. But I just think Peyton just is playing too well right now, and uh, I think he gets it done this weekend. Nick, right. Marshawn Lynch versus no Sean Marino. I know Marshawn Lynch is one of the best, but like, do you do you think that there is a chance in this game that he falters under the pressure and he doesn't have a great game? Well, I, I just look back at the, the two playoff games that Denver has played so far this season uh, against San Diego and then against New England. Both of those teams coming into their playoff games with Denver were really good at running the ball. And uh, San Diego, that was the primary focus of their team with Ryan Matthews yeah. and others. And the way that they were allowed to shut those teams down just allowed 64 yards over the two, uh, 64 rushing yards in those two games against the prolific running teams like uh, San Diego and like New England this past season. I think it's going to be uh, a tough task for Marshawn Lynch running against this Denver defense. More of a tougher, t a tougher task than most people think. Uh, this this Denver defense often gets overshadowed by this offense, but uh, they're a pretty stout group themselves. One of our finest here at WFPV Sports, Nick Legerifo. Thanks for the time, my friend. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Now, speaking of another one of our friends here at FUV, longtime supporter, a member. contributor, yeah. a member of WFUV, Clark Judge, now with the Sports Exchange, had some great insight on breaking this game down. He did. Let's hear what he had to say about Super Sunday. DJ Sixsmith, Kenny Ducey, with one of our favorite friends here at FEV, Clark Judge. Clark, Super Bowl in New York. How's this week been for you so far? It's been pretty easy because I live here. <laughs> so I just take the subway down, take the 6 train down to 51st Street, get off and come over here. And I think everything's been pretty easy to get around. Honestly, I haven't heard many complaints. And what people were talking about initially, the weather, the weather's been great. The weather's been fine. Did you ever think we were going to see a Super Bowl in New York City? No, I didn't. I didn't think we'd see one in a cold weather area that didn't have uh, a dome stadium. But I think this really is good news for places like Denver, um, maybe Seattle. Uh, New England's interested in Philadelphia, but no, I never did. And I think it's come off pretty seamlessly. I think a big discussion now is do you think we'll ever see it again in New York? Because I, I personally don't know if they'll ever go back here. Um, yeah, I, I don't either. I mean, um, there's so many people that are waiting in line, and there's been a lot of controversy about you know how smart it is. But it's it's coming off without a hitch, and I think they got lucky. But the fact of the matter is, they did. You know, they they, they got it. So um, I think it could, but maybe not under the uh, direction of Roger Goodell. Maybe when someone else is the commissioner. Now let's talk about the Super Bowl, Seattle and Denver. What are some of the storylines that you're looking at that may not be getting the attention they deserve? Well, I mean, everything gets the attention this week. I mean, there's nothing that's not uncovered or dissected. Um, yeah, I, I want to see Peyton Manning against this defense. Honestly, I don't think that that uh, Denver's really gone against a physical defense like these guys. Someone's going to play bump and run all the time, manhandle their receivers. I mean, Seattle basically challenges officials to make the calls, and um, and we'll see if they do or not. But it's going to be very tough, and, and then I want to see what happens to him when he gets hit. He hasn't been hit at all. I mean, he hasn't been sacked. He hasn't been touched. They've had one punt in two games. So 
Um, I, I want to see from that standpoint. I want to see how Russell Wilson deals with the pressure. I mean, this is it's, a, it's it's I'm telling you guys, it's a different animal. I mean, I remember seeing Brett Favre in his first conference championship game. Every pass was high. It was about ten feet over everyone's head. And he said afterwards, "I was so excited. It took me two quarters to settle down." He didn't win that game, but he did get to the Super Bowl next year, and he won it the next year. You mentioned Russell Wilson, and one of the matchups I'm kind of looking at is I think that the Broncos' defense is good enough to match up with the Seahawks' defense, but I don't really see the Seahawks' offense as nearly as good as the Broncos' offense. I mean, would you agree that that's a fair comparison, that the Broncos have the offensive edge and that the defenses are kind of similar, or would you give the Seahawks a big defensive edge? I'd give them a huge defensive edge. I mean, they're number one in defense. They've uh, run roughshod over the entire league. They lead the league in interceptions, turnovers. Uh, I mean, takeaways, uh, pass defense, uh, points allowed, yards. I mean, you just go down the line. And, and that secondary is big and physical. Um, I think what you've got on um, Seattle's offense is, is Marshawn Lynch and maybe Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson had made a lot of plays down the stretch. Now, he made enough a couple weeks ago, but he hasn't played very well. And you've got, you know, Peyton Manning and Denver. They're scoring billions of points and setting all sorts of records. So, yeah, there's no comparison there either. But with Marshawn Lynch, you can control the clock, you can control the ball, and you can keep Manning off the field. You keep Manning off the field and get him behind, he gets a little bit antsy, and he starts to take chances. I want to take chances against this defense. Now, Clark, you're no stranger to covering Super Bowls. What would you say is your favorite Super Bowl moment, maybe one or two that stick out to you from over the years? Uh, probably the David Tyree moment. I mean, I, that was unbelievable. I mean, you beat a team that hadn't lost a game, New England. I mean, that was extraordinary. Um, yeah, that one, um, I mean, I covered a lot of Super Bowls that were blowouts. I mean, but there was also the one, um, St. Louis and, and um, Tennessee, where um, the Titans came one yard short of the goal line. That was pretty good. I mean, that was really pretty good. But the Tyree moment, that's, that's hard to beat. That was an improbable catch. I remember watching it like five times in the press box going, I don't think that ball touched the ground. And, and honestly, it's funny because my wife worked the league office and, and I heard someone in the background screaming, oh my gosh, he caught it. And screaming and I looked at somebody and said, I hope that's not my wife. <laughs> you know, And it wasn't. She was working behind the scenes going great. Now, we're talking about individual performances and Wes Welker will be remembered in his last Super Bowl for an individual performance, but in a bad way, you know, with, with his drops. I mean, do you think now in this Super Bowl he can get a little bit of redemption, you know, especially a cold-weather scenario. Peyton Manning might be going short over the middle to Welker. But I'm not sure redemption for what, guys, honestly. I mean, some people want to pin it out on him. Some people want to pin it out on Brady. Listen, it wasn't Brady's best pass. Should Welker have caught it? I don't think he should have, but could he? Yeah, he probably would have caught that eight times out of ten. He just didn't happen to catch it. That Yeah, it wasn't particularly well-thrown ball. Sometimes those things just happen. They just happen. You can't blame anyone. I don't think he has anything to redeem himself for. I think what is more of an issue with him is he's dropping the ball a lot more. And, and honestly, there's some people who do think it's sort of, might be the effect of multiple concussions, that suddenly he's not seeing it quite the same. But he's got to start being more of that possession receiver. I, don't, I think he's going to have a good game simply because he's pretty reliable, but he has made some drops in the past. Okay, Clark Judge, time to put you on the spot. I need a prediction and a winner. Who you got on well, Sunday? I, got, I mean, I'll take Seattle. I like to, I, to me, great defenses trump great quarterbacks. You learned that with Brady against the Giants. And, guys, I go way back to when, before you were born, before you were born, when, when Dan Marino came out, and it would say, there's no stopping Dan Marino. Three, 5,000, there's no stop, 48 touchdowns. And San Francisco came out with a defense and said, we're going to hit him, and we're going to hit him a lot, and he's He's not going to be the same. And they shut him down. They won by 22 points. So, what, score, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll take Seattle. Uh, 24-17, 24-20, something like that. And real quick, Hall of Fame predictions. Does Michael Strahan get in on Sunday? Yeah, I'm on that committee, and, and I've sort of taken the temperature of that room. And we'll be in there for about eight hours tomorrow. I think he is. I think he's one of the three guys I would say is a sure bet. I would Other say two? Walter Jones, Derek Brooks, 
I think Strahan's going to make it, and then you've got two wild cards. I'm, I'm going to bet right now, guys, that Will Shields may be one of them. He may not be a sexy name, but he should be in. Marvin Harrison? Close. Tony Dungy? Close. But you've got guys who've been in the queue for a long time. Aeneas Williams, Andre Reed. Tim, yeah, Tim Brown's not going to make it. But Aeneas Williams and Andre Reed, do they, if you don't put them in now, and Jerome Bettis is no one, you start to push them towards the back of the pile so these guys were coming in, first-year guys, all of a sudden jump the queue. I hope Marvin Harrison, I mean, if Marvin Harrison gets in, he gets in for the right reason. But I'd like to see him wait until one of those other guys, maybe Andre Reed or Aeneas Williams, gets in. Always good stuff from the sports exchanges. Clark Judge. Clark, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah, my pleasure, guys. Thank you. See you at the draft? Uh, you will see me at the draft, yeah. I wouldn't miss your table for anything. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Back here on NFL Friday, DJ Sixsmith, Kenny Ducey, Clark Judge. This he is a always mainstay at our down. NFL draft table. He really is. Really, every, every year, he's always there. Really interesting stuff in the Hall of Fame because Willie Shields is not a guy that many people are considering for Canton this Sunday. Michael Strahan, Marvin Harrison, Derek Brooks, all those names have come to the forefront, but still a lot of great players are in this Hall of Fame class. And unfortunately, only about one or two or three of them are going to get in. Yeah, really unfortunate. And, um, you know, it just the, the NFL, you know, we talk about Hall of Fames and the Baseball Hall of Fame is getting a lot of talk. And um, it's just it's a very interesting process in which they select these players. So I don't know. I mean, I think that uh, I think that, you know, I think Strahan will get in. I don't know about Marvin Harrison. though. It's going to be a very interesting weekend. That's for sure. DJ Sixsmith, Kenny Ducey here. Media Day was just the other day on Tuesday. Right. We're doing it big here, Radio Row. We've had some great interviews so far. Got about a half hour more of the show. Christian O'Hara, Chris Venezia, our beat reporters for the Super Bowl, are going to be joining us in just a little while as we continue to break down this game from Sunday on Sunday. And one of the really interesting things will be the Fox pregame show. We haven't talked about that yet. They're going to be starting in New York, then going to New Jersey, I, I getting just, the two-state appeal. I'm just really interested in Joe Buck, like, all the time. Just Joe, just Joe Buck. Uh, you know, Everything did, Joe see, Buck? did you see what Joe Buck did? He went on the street of New York. The Funny or Die video? Yeah. yeah. If you haven't and, seen uh, it, please check it out online because it's absolutely hysterical. He went out into the hysterical. streets of New York, and I think it was probably all scripted, but uh, he just basically was trying to interview all these New Yorkers, and they just threw, like, pizza on him and stuff. It was really funny. Always a good time talking about Joe Buck. So we're going to have a few more interviews as we wrap things up in the final half hour here from Times Square in New York City. We're going to be joined by Damian Robinson in just a little bit, former NFL player. Spent some time with the Bucks, the Jets, and the, Jets, the, Jets, and the, the Seahawks. Seahawks, the team that's in, in right now in the Super Bowl. And I'm sure we'll have a lot of great stuff to talk to him to, about as we continue to get things going here. And, Kenny, before we get Damian on here, Actually, you know what? We're just going to get him on. No, right let's now. just, yeah. go ahead and get let's just on. do that. Hey, Damien. Damien, what's going? On? What's going on? Fresh off the plane. Hey, fresh off the plane. Damien Robinson plane. is in the house. Former NFL flew in safety. all the way just to talk to us. Yeah, that's we'll, we'll just say that. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. Having a good time, man. You played for the Bucks. You played for the Jets. You played for the Seahawks. Let's start first with New York City. Right. What does it mean for you to be here? in the city that you once played and now a Super Bowl here this year? Hey, it's, it's, it's a great opportunity to be back in the city. You know, uh, I got much love here, uh, especially, you know, being in the community, working with the kids. Yeah. And it's great to be back, you know. Uh, New York has the best energy in the world. I know you haven't played in this MetLife Stadium, but how do you think that it might compare? I mean, just the Meadowlands in general at night, you know, winds might you know pick up and start swirling around that area come Super Bowl time. How do you think that's going to 
affect the game, and how does that stadium really compare, do you think, to the, the previous the Giant Stadium that was there? Well, you know, the win is a little tricky, and I, I think this probably going to affect more of Peyton Manning in them because they like to throw the ball um, and uh, play more into the Seattle Seahawks' favor. You know, uh, You're, you got to be riding with Seattle, I'm right? With Those Seattle, are your guys. Oh, man, uh, come on. And then, you know, being a, a former Jet, you know, going against Indianapolis, you know, <laughs> definitely, That's true. you know, uh, going for uh, Seattle. Uh, but the defense, you know, hopefully everything will work out for them and, you know, it'll be a good situation. So, Damien, you played safety in the fo- in the National Football League. What makes Seattle's defense so good? Because everybody talks about Richard Sherman, but Cam Chancellor is back there and right. Myron Bax- uh, Blackwell is another guy that really stepped up. What about the Legion Bobby of Doom Wagner. is so great? What is, what really is the key for them? Well, I mean, the key, I mean, you know, being able to play safety, when you got good safeties, then your cornerbacks are able to take more risk. And, uh, you know, and it seemed like they have that real good connection where they read and play off each other very well. And uh, it gives them an opportunity to make plays. And they're very physical. So, you know, you know, uh, they try to hold a guy up. Somebody come up and put the smash on them and strip the ball out. So, you know, to have a physical secondary is very good, you know. Now, what do you think about Earl Thomas and the way he does, you know, play the game differently than other players? I mean, what, what sets him above kind of these other guys? Because, I mean, you know, he doesn't really get talked about that much in the Seattle defense, but I personally think he's a big part. And, and what sets him apart from the other safeties in the league? Well, Earl, Earl is the type of guy, he has very good range. And when most most guys, when they look in the draft and looking for a good safety, they call it range, where you can run sideline to sideline, cover the, cover the deep field, and uh, also being able to cover the third receiver. And Earl can do it all. And plus, on top of that, he's very physical and love to hit. So that, he, he's probably one of the only safeties right now that has the whole total package. Talking with is. former safety Damian Robinson. Damian, what do you miss most about playing in the NFL? Because you have your health. That's certainly the most important thing. But strapping it up on Sundays, it, 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 it can't be the same watching at home. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, you know, you miss, you miss the competition, getting a chance to compete against guys. and There's nothing like it playing in front of, you know, thousands and thousands of fans and yeah. the camaraderie that you have in the, in the locker room and, you know, things behind the scenes, building relationships with coaches and things like that. But, you know, definitely going out and playing on Sunday in front of the crowd. There's nothing like nothing it. Nothing like it. It's nothing like it. I'm curious because we talked to Mike Westoff earlier, and I believe that you did. You played one season with him. What what is? Oh, Mike was here. I was two seasons. Two seasons with Mike. Two seasons. So so what um, does he really? Because obviously he's a legendary special teams coach. What do you think sets him apart? Uh, you know that you've you noticed playing with him in those two years. Well, Mike Mike is a very creative guy. Um, he he plays well with his his, his personnel, and uh, you know he has tricks of the trade that he likes to put together for. Personnel and and if you're a star and a playmaker, he tried to put you in the best uh, possibility. I mean to uh, make plays. You know when we was here, we had Santana Moss running punts back, and we oh, yeah. ran a lot of punts back. And uh, you know we got a lot of punts blocked. I mean we were blocking a lot of punts mm-hmm. on um, you know special teams. So. You know, Westy is a good coach, and he tried to put his best players in the best position to make plays. All right, Damian, I want to know, toughest wide receiver you ever went up against during your playing days? Oh, Randy Moss. It's no question. <laughs> you got the prime of Randy right, Moss. Post the Minnesota the days. I mean, hey, I mean, I don't care what nobody say. Uh, Randy Moss is probably the most feared receiver out ever. You know, uh, Jerry Rice is a great receiver. Mm-hmm. You know, Randy Rouse before. Randy Moss the only receiver that can outrun zone coverage. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> it takes a lot of speed. <laughs> you know, you can put your safeties back 30 yards, and he's still going to get behind. So, you know, and he's such a great athlete. Too. What about Terrell Owens? Where does he stack up in that list? He didn't really do it for you? Marvin uh, Harrison, wide, uh, yeah. uh, Hall I mean, of I mean, Famer, you think? I, I think Marvin Harris. I mean, there's a lot of guys that are before Terrell Owens and a lot of 
times his stats. I mean, not, nothing to take away from T.O. because yeah. he's a great player. And, um, you know, got love for him. But it's a lot of guys that's out there that didn't get a lot of, you know, recognition that were very good total package receivers, you know. Terry Glenn. Mm-hmm. Torrey Holt. Torrey Holt. Isaac Bruce. You know, Isaac all those Bruce. guys. Yeah. I mean, it, it's some guys. Jimmy Smith, yeah. probably one of the hardest guys to ever cover, you know what I mean? Uh, he never got much recognition, you know, being from the Jaguars. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's some quality guys out there. When you look at this current Jets defense, and I know it was obviously over 10 years ago that, that you played with the Jets defense, but, you know, look at Rex Ryan and you look at what he's been able to do. Um, they always like to say that they have a top five defense, you know, coming in or, or they, you know, Rex Ryan believes he does every season. Do you see enough there now that they could begin to start just building on the offense and kind of leaving the defense alone? Because personally, you know, you played safety and they did have, you know, Laron Landry. You now they have Dewan Landry. I mean, do you think there's enough there at safety, you know, in particular? Well, I mean, you know, it just kind of depends on what kind of schemes and what they're looking for. You know, like I said earlier, you know, with Earl, with Earl at uh, Seattle, you know, they, they want a, a safety with range, you know, and, and those guys are more just hitters. So I don't know exactly how they play in his defense, you know. Um, I like the pick when they got the cornerback from Alabama. You like Milner? You know, I like Milner. Milner is a good guy. I mean, he just stay healthy, though. Yeah. yeah. You know, that help out a lot. So, Damien, you haven't played in the NFL in about 10 years now. So what was the transition like for you going from the game and then building your life over again and starting to really become a part of the real world and end that fantasy in playing football? Well, I mean, you know, I think it was more harder for the people that I knew more than myself. <laughs> the people that have been relying <laughs> right, on you yeah, all those years? Yeah, yeah, sorry, I can't pay for your dinners anymore. That's you know, just not how we do uh, it. No, I still take care of the family, but I'm just saying, like, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, everybody feels you a star 24-7. <laughs> And, you know, the, um, you're just trying to walk into a different path, you know, get into business and uh, different things going like that and transition. But people feel that you're just a football player. They forgot, you know. We <laughs> They'll never to, we think of to, you otherwise. Yeah, you know, we went to college. We got degrees. I got a degree. I got a business degree. <laughs> and, you know what I'm saying, there's other things that we like to get into uh, in life. So, I mean, the transition was pretty smooth. We did a lot of um, – I did a lot of things. I, I always worked with kids. Mm-hmm. So I, I kept that going through my foundation. Yeah. And uh, working with Dr. Ira, we work with a lot of kids from in Dallas and here back in, in uh, New York. And uh, just trying to help kids out, help them get scholarships, put them in the best position to win, give them a game plan of life, you know, uh, pouring good positive energy back into them. Now I want to know something. You went to school at Iowa. Worst part about going to school at Iowa, because I feel like it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's only oh, so much you can on, do on weekends. The man weekend. went to school at Iowa. You're slapping in the face right now. Hey, hey have you been to Iowa? I city? haven't been to Iowa. See, city. Uh, you got to go. You got to <laughs> come on, man. See, and it's kind of funny because when I came out of um, going out of high school, I had committed to uh, Tennessee and then um, changed my commit to Michigan. Interesting. And and I tell everybody this story because it's so funny. So I tell them, I said, uh, Iowa called me and was like, yeah, we wanted you to come take a visit. And I was like, well, <laughs> if you had a head coach at my house tomorrow, I'll take the visit. And the head coach at the time was Hayden Fry. So when I oh, came wow. home from school, Hayden Fry was sitting in my living room. So I had to take the visit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, coming in, it's a whole bunch of snow. You know, you can't really see anything. And I got there, and it was the best time of my life. Coaches were very good. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a college town. They don't have no pro team, so Iowa City is is the place, you know, and uh, it was the best experience of my life. You know, I learned a lot of things there. Great friends, great relationships. We're still close to this this day, 
you know, the whole Notre Dame staff yeah, is yeah, from yeah. Iowa, so uh, <laughs> just about. And, you know, it's great coaches that have come out of the University of Iowa. Maybe I should visit. I'm giving it yeah, a bad rap. And know, we're I mean, the number yeah. one party school in the world. Hey, oh, there there you go. Go. There Damien go. enjoyed his four years. Let's put it that way. <laughs> hey, real quick, you're from you're from Dallas. You, are you a Cowboys fan? Dallas Cowboy fan. So, oh, so I'm because I'm always the one who's sticking up for Tony Romo. Are you a Tony Romo defender? And if or if not, why? Curious. Tony, we, we are fans of Tony Romo. But Tony Romo is missing the it factor. And that's just it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's missing the it factor. I, I, but are you finding someone better to play for him in his position? I and mean, then, well, you know, he don't have any competition either. So it ain't like they drafted another quarterback behind him. Just John Kitt is really You know what I mean? Yeah, Kyle Lord can only move the needle so much. And he's Jerry's guy. So, you know, whatever Jerry says goes. So, you know. I think they got to put a little pressure on him to make him want his job a little bit more. But other than that, he's a great athlete. He can play any sport, you know, but you just need to get the it. Yeah. It factor. We missing that it. Like Tom Brady got the it. <laughs> oh, he's got yeah. the Drew it. Brees got the it. Yep. You know, um, so, you know, Peyton Manning has the it. You know, you can see it in Russell. Uh, Does he Russell. think he's got it? Oh, yeah, Russell? Yeah. Yeah, he has the it. Yeah, yeah. I think so, too. DJ Sixsmith, Kenny Ducey talking with former NFL safety Damian Robinson. So, Damian, for those guys that are just retiring right now and some of them at a young age, what would you say is the most important thing for them to consider as they begin the second chapter of their life and moving beyond football? Well, I think a lot of times you have to prepare and have a plan to how you, what you want to get into after football. I think sometimes people's career come at uh, such a quick halt that they're not prepared for the transition. So you have to plan, uh, have a strategic plan a little bit ahead of time so it can be smooth for you, whether it's business, uh, you know, or getting into something that you really want to do, you know, uh, whatever it may be. Going back to school, getting education. Because a lot of times you miss, you know, I had to go back and take some classes because I hadn't been in right. school. Yeah, and well, then you know, yeah, you, well, we know that, too, because we travel with, like, the basketball teams, for example, and the football teams, and, and they're always missing classes. Right. right it's tough. Right, right, it really is. Tough. So you got to go back to school and kind of freshen up because, you know, the, the terminology changes yeah. even in business and, you know, uh, whatever you're getting into. So you got to kind of freshen up. <laughs> Damien, before we get you out of here and ask you about your management foundation, you're most known for that night at the Superdome in New Orleans and everything that happened with Aaron Brooks and Kyle Turley. And when you look back on it now, what sticks out to you the most about that night? Because it was pretty crazy from right, what happened. Right, right, right. Well, it was two things. One – I guess they forgot two plays before I intercepted the ball and the game was over. <laughs> and it was pass interference on Ray Miggins. So they left oh, out the part about Oh, I remember the, Ray Miggins. Yeah, so they left out the part about me intercepting the ball. They you know, forgot. The game was over. <laughs> and then second of all, um, I got, I got, you know, Kyle Turley came out the blue and, you know, yeah. went crazy. And he became a, a star after that. It's funny, right? And I never had any problems. You know, I got blackballed after that. So I, I didn't understand. <laughs> so let me ask you this. If you saw Kyle Turley today walking in the street and you guys came up to each other, would it be hospitable? Would it be – or would it still be the same way it was left on that field that night? You know what? I have no problem with Kyle Turley as long as he don't have no problem with me. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's kind of funny because when I was in Seattle, he was in uh, – St. Louis. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. And we kind of got into it again. But, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's on the field battle. I don't, I don't have nothing. I don't take it off the field because, you know, 
it's too much at stake. You know, I got yeah. kids. Of and, course. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's all in the battle of the game. Hey, man, I always remember those teams. You know, Gerald Soule looked like a superstar with Chad Pennington throwing him those screen passes. Right. I remember those. Good times, right? Right, right. Yeah, great times. All right, team. Damian, before we let you go, tell the folks at home more about your management foundation. What are you guys specifically doing? What's next in 2014, continuing to build things up? Okay. Um, I have the Damian Robinson Foundation. Uh, based out of uh, Dallas, and like I said, we work with some kids in, in New York as well, all over the country. And what we do is we take kids that are uh, at-risk youth or might be uh, challenged, you know, where mm-hmm. they're not getting a look. Everybody's not a rivals, five-star player. It's true, right. And, uh, you know, we take them, clean them up, get them, uh, work them out, train them, make sure that their grades are together, make sure their SAT scores, ACT scores are good. And then in the summertime, we take them to colleges that we have relationships with. That's great. And then, you know, let them perform in front of the coaches and then get them signed scholarships. So we probably got about eight to nine guys right now that are getting ready to come out in the next two, three years that have gotten scholarships without being on the map at all. Wow. I'm sure this was something you would have loved to have while you were growing up and going through the tough times as well. Well, you know, it's different, though. You know, the times is different. I mean, we were so competitive as young kids. You know, it's different now. Kids don't even compete no more, you know. (laughs) Got to bring it back, right? You know, you got to compete. You know, you'll fight your best friend just to win, you know. <laughs> they don't do that no more. Not the same know? intensity the same, anymore. You know, so uh, the intensity's changed, and everybody want to be a star, and they trying to make it just be one sport when, you know, you used to play all sports. Yeah, everybody's afraid play. of getting hurt and yeah, playing the other sport. If you yeah. play football, oh, you can't play basketball. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Damian Robinson, it's been a real pleasure chatting with you. Yeah. Enjoy New York City. Thanks so much. Came right off the plane right to our table. Fresh Thank off you. The flight. Right. Thank you. I, I appreciate y'all having me, and uh, look forward to hearing more from you guys All in right. the future. Yeah, of course. You're welcome Thank anytime, you. Damian. Thanks, right, so thanks so much. Thanks for your time. So that was former NFL safety Damian Robinson here on WFEV Sports' NFL Friday, keeping it real here at Radio nice Row. Time. Always a good time getting some former players on to get the perspective, especially someone who played in New York City for the Jets, played for the Seattle Seahawks, a team that's in the Super Bowl right now. A good conversation, Kenny. We hit a lot of great points in that. Always a pleasure having a guy like that on our show and talking about whether or not who has the it factor. He thinks Russell Wilson does. I absolutely agree with him. And how about those infamous Jet teams? Oh, Going back to Chadwick Pennington and Santana Moss and all the boys back in the day. Oh, yeah. I mean, Wayne Krabat and Ch- Chad Morton was on that. Team. I mean, those are those are some great teams. Lavernius Coles. Uh, man, I really miss watching those guys. All right, so we heard from Damian Robinson. It's time to get our own guys back into the fold. We got Chris Venezia. Is it Whitney in the Bronx, Chris? Christian O'Hara in the house. Guys, how you doing? Pretty good. How you guys doing? How you guys doing? It sounds It sounds like I just said it. Vanessa, you, you calling from your apartment <laughs> in the goodness. Bronx? I am oh. not. I'm actually uh, in, in the city right now. You calling from a wind uh, tunnel, Chris? <laughs> A wind tunnel? Is there an echo? I'm trying to find a good spot. <laughs> it just sounds very windy. It, just, it sounds like someone's it, blowing it, it into your phone. Sunday, man. It's going to be tough. It's going to be very tough. Are you excited for that cold weather, by the way? Um, I mean, I'm fine with it. You know, as you guys know, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. The Super Bowl's been there a couple times. going to be there well, in Glendale, Arizona next year. I'm a fan of the warm weather, but the cold's an interesting twist, and I like the NFL doing it. <laughs> all right, Christian, let's get you in here. You've been covering the Seahawks all week long. You're at the Wounded Warriors game on Wednesday. For you, what's this week been like so far? Uh, it's been a great experience, DJ. Um, everything I could have asked for and more. Uh, just been cool to uh, you know hang around the Seahawks and especially uh, the Wounded Warriors game. Got to uh, meet some uh, notable NFL alumni and really thank uh, you know these vets that you know sacrifice um, 
yeah. their limbs for our, and our, you know, their safety for our freedom. And Christian, who was the best conversation you had this week, whether it be a wounded warrior or somebody else you've met along the way? Um, my best conversation um, was definitely with uh, the Wounded Warriors game. Uh, it was with Brian Taylor Uredia, who actually um, he was two days away from being sent back home from Baghdad after a year-long tour, and uh, he got he and his Humvee got uh, hit by a roadside bomb, wow. and, he, and he lost his leg. And um, you know, two days, uh, excuse me, two two years of trying to get back, you know, the strength in his leg after 35 surgeries. Can you imagine, you know, 35 yeah. surgeries, that's a lot. And um, the doctors and, and he decided that, you know, he, he would have a better quality of life if he were to amputate the leg. And so, you know, he had to go through two more years of rehabilitation. And he said, you know, uh, games like the Wounded Warriors game and, and an organization like that really helped him uh, mentally to, you know, just rally around guys like who had, who had been in the same situation as he had. All right, let's get Venezia back into the conversation. Chris, I want to know from you, Who's the most important player for Denver, Denver on Sunday Denver? evening? I mean, it's a, it's a pretty simple answer. you got to go Peyton Manning, the quarterback. It's going to be interesting, of course. He's got the cold-weather critics, and no better way to show those guys up than obviously on the biggest stage at the Super Bowl. He's the one that anchors that offense. I mean, for me, he's obviously going to be the big guy. If he comes through, if he can find a way to break down this unstoppable Seattle defense that has really torn every quarterback in space apart, I mean, that's going to be his job. He's one of the best in the game. He's going up against one of the best defenses in the game right now. It should be a good matchup. Chris, I, 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 this is a little off topic, but I, this is a very hot sports take here. Uh, that I want to get from you because Phoenix. There's Tony Romo, Fe- and I know you were talking Tony Romo. Earlier. <laughs> no, no, no more Romo. The Phoenix Coyotes are moving. They're going to be now the Ari- what are they Arizona Coyotes or something like the that? Arizona I mean, Coyotes, you got I that. mean the nerve of these people. And we're really all over the place on this show. Um, yeah, the Arizona Coyotes. It was a, a last minute uh, name change they put in the deal when the Phoenix Coyotes were announced to stay. This was over the last summer, so it, the team plays in Glendale although they were called the Phoenix Coyotes. Glendale was not happy with that since Glendale pays from the stadium lease, so they wanted the name changed to Glendale Coyotes. They settled on Arizona Coyotes. It makes sense to me. It's a simple name change, but, you know, DJ, Ken, you guys are New York boys, at least from the area. You know, you guys, New York Giants, New York Jets, they play in New Jersey. I don't know how you guys feel about that name. Well, you know what? It's it just is a part of the process, and mm-hmm. you know what? The Coyotes take a little bit of a back seat this week with the Super Bowl and everything I, I just, else I had going to get on. Chris, I had to get a, a question for Chris in there. All right, Christian, I want to talk football with you yeah, because DJ. unlike my partner Kenny Ducey, he's his mind's just going in a bunch <laughs> of different places. But looking at this game on Sunday evening, well, we've talked so much about No. Sean Moreno and Marshawn Lynch and. Who do you think will have the bigger game in this one? Because Marshawn has obviously garnered so many of the headlines, but Moreno has been sneaky good this year, and you could argue that he's been the more consistent running back all season long. What's your take on that? That's a good point, DJ, but you know what? I'm going to go with uh, Marshawn Lynch. I think he's going to have a bigger game on, uh, on on Sunday because I simply I think he's going to be more involved. See, I think Peyton's going to throw the ball a lot more, and in my opinion, Peyton is going to have to play almost – perfectly to, to win this game you know if, if Peyton struggles at all with the wind or the cold I don't see it I don't see them winning the game I think Seattle's defense is way too good and um, I don't know if Moreno honestly will be much of a factor this defense is nasty they hit hard they're very physical and um, I, I think I think Lynch is going to have the better game 
Now, Chris Venezia, let's get him in just in a second, Kenny. Chris, you're a West Coast guy. The NFC West is your division. You saw your Cardinals battle against the Seahawks all season long. What's the biggest key for them in shutting down their offense? Well, it's going to be tough to compare the two. The way the Arizona Cardinals beat the Seattle Seahawks is by absolutely stopping Seattle's defense, and especially Marshawn Lynch. Seattle went three and out four or five times in the second half, had a really tough time scoring. I think they finally got it in, but Arizona's defense really limited them. Arizona turned the ball over, I think, four or five times. It was really the Arizona's defense that's the key. That's not going to happen here. I don't think Denver's defense is really going to have much of an answer for Marshawn Lynch. Too much of an animal. Denver's defense has struggled thus far this season. Even the passing game dealing with Russell Wilson. I know Champ Bailey is going to be there. He sounds healthy. But I think Denver's defense is going to have a problem. It's going to have to be Denver's offense really putting the points on the board, really taking Marshawn Lynch out of this game and really forcing Russell Wilson to make big plays. And I think that's going to be the key. If you put the ball in Russell Wilson's hand, eliminate Marshawn Lynch, that really gives Denver a huge edge. Guys, this is for both of you uh, because you are Super Bowl media this week. You've been following the teams. Marshawn Lynch not electing to talk to the media for more than six minutes uh, I mean, outside of a short Deion Sanders interview after that on media day. What's your take on that? I do not like it one bit. I think he should be up there for the allotted time. I think he should follow after his teammate Richard Sherman, frankly, who went overtime and spent a lot of time with the media. Instead, Marshawn Lynch decided to go just six minutes. Uh, Christian, you go first, I mean, because you were there. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it, I mean, were, were you kind of upset at him? Um, I, I don't know if I'd say I, I was upset, but I was definitely surprised. Um, I, and I agree with you, Kenny. I think he should speak to the media and, um, you know, give back to the game that's given so much to him. Um, you know, I get that maybe he's not the most outspoken guy in front of cameras and stuff like that, but you hear his te- I heard his teammates, uh, Doug Baldwin was saying that uh, Marshawn is a kind and caring guy and he's very uh, personable in the meeting rooms. Well, you know, I don't, I don't understand why um, – when when the when the cameras are on him, all of a sudden he turns into uh, somebody that that doesn't want to say anything. And I mean, maybe he has. You know, I, I heard during the week somebody say that he might have a social anxiety issue. Well, I mean, oh, if he has on. that, yeah, exactly. If he has that, why not just come out and say it? If you're Seattle, why are he's you creating? Afraid, Christian. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's, he's afraid. afraid. Of the media yeah, and all its power. You know, I don't. I, I just don't get it. So yeah, Kenny, I do agree with you. He should be talking to the media. And you know, it's not like he has to go out here and you know recite, recite speeches every day. He just has to answer simple questions. Chris? I mean, look, at one point I agree with what you're saying there, Christian, but on the other hand, after being there and you see what these players have to deal with, it's really nerve-wracking. It's media to the extent that you really don't see very often. And I thought Seattle made maybe a bit of a mistake by not bringing him up to a main press conference podium. They put him off to the side on one of these podiums. Please, that's the, the way I kind of read it and saw it on the cameras. I mean, you're getting mauled by tons of media, tons yeah. of flash cameras, constantly, constantly, constantly. That's not an atmosphere you're familiar with, and you already don't really like speaking in public. Probably a great place to start improving your public speaking skills. Seattle fans were in support of him. Seattle teammates were in support of him. Look, if the guy doesn't really like talking in the media, I think it's kind of part of the thing. The guy's called the beast, you know? Don't try to make him human. <laughs> Keep him the beast. Keep him this caged animal. Make him mysterious. I kind of liked it the way it was handled. I kind of, I was okay with the fact that he didn't talk to me because it kind of mystifies his persona of this guy who loves Skittles, who runs hard. And you know what? He doesn't like talking to people he doesn't know very well. Chris, Chris, I have a question for you though. Now, if if Seattle starts to make you know 
two, three Super Bowls in a row, let's say, hypothetically. I know that's obviously a long way down the road. Are we going to have this be a story every Super Bowl? You know, you know what I mean? That he's not uh, talking to the media. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Super Bowl week, it, it seems like everything that could be anything yeah. has uh, <laughs> been a story. So will it be a story during media week? Absolutely. Right. It's going to be a story if they're in it next what? year, if they're in it three years from now. If they're in it 10 years from now, they'll still show the video from 10 years before. Right, and they'll show them 10 yeah. years later, regardless of how he does. This is going to stick with them during Super Bowls. They're always going to show it. And I personally, the way he handled it, I don't think it's going to affect them. Okay. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for predictions. Pick Ballard. Let's look into the crystal ball for some <laughs> weekly NFL predictions. Or Michael Pick. Michael Pick, too. Okay, Super Bowl edition of selections. Patrick Burns is back in studio. Pat, I'm starting off with you. Super Bowl number one for Russell Wilson. Skittles being thrown around for Marshawn Lynch. Or is it Peyton's time to shine once again? I'm going Super Bowl number one for Russell Wilson. I, I just think that Denver's offense and Seattle's defense will come pretty close to canceling out. I do think Denver's defense will limit Marshawn Lynch a little bit. I think it comes down to Russell Wilson, and I think he's just good enough to get past Denver. I'm going Seattle 24-20. to Christian O'Hara, Golden Tate never won anything at Notre Dame. Will he finally win a championship in the NFL? DJ Golden Tate, along with Russell Wilson, will be hoisting that Lombardi trophy come Sunday night. They will stop Peyton Manning in the Denver offense. The Seattle Seahawks will win Super Bowl 48-27-24. Chris Venezia, Wes Welker does not have a Super Bowl ring. Will that be the same story come Monday morning? DJ, you did your homework. Um... Uh, no, he will have a ring come Monday morning. Broncos are going to win there this There we game. go, Chris. There you go. I can't believe you guys aren't saying this. The Broncos, it seems like I've been picked a lot. I'm Team Broncos. Team Broncos. Team Broncos. Okay, we're getting Nick Legerifo involved in the conversation. Nick, here's the big question. Julius Thomas once played basketball. Now he plays football. Does he got a ring on his finger come Monday? Well, I don't think he's going to get the ring even if they win because it takes a couple <laughs> months. But <laughs> but I do think they're going to win the Super Bowl, and uh, I think Peyton's going to have a big day. Thomas is going to have a big day. Uh, I believe on Wednesday I said 27 27- 24, and I'll stick with that. Broncos win by three. Well, okay. bigger question. Jake Crink Schreifel's had a shirt on a shirt on now. Is he going to have a shirt on come Monday morning? Probably. I don't know. That'd be weird. So Crink Schreifel's is back with morning. us. Jake, you got a little bit more hair gel oh, in I there. The wall, yeah, goodness. Something Selection. Uh, well, I want the Seahawks. I'm going to say, I'm going to go a little more low scoring. 20, 21-17 Seahawks. Okay. That's like 38 points. That's, Ken, that's low scoring enough. Kenny Ducey, it's your time now. What are you thinking? Is it finally going to be Pete Carroll winning a championship? Um, you know the answer to that question. <laughs> Pete Carroll's not going to win a championship, silly. It'll be John Fox and Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning is going to throw for over 300 yards. Russell Wilson will have 257 yards. Marshawn Lynch <laughs> on the ground will have 123 and a touchdown. Big difference here. Wilson will throw two interceptions. Manning's going to throw one interception. Noshawn Marino will fumble the ball once. The Broncos will win. This is really descriptive. 35-28. to It'll be a one-possession game, I think. you got a lot of prop bets going, don't you? <laughs> Actually, I didn't fill out my prop bet for me, but I probably should. Um, but just kidding. I don't I don't wait here. Um, yes. I, I, so let's see. Oh, defense-wise, Richard Sherman will have a pick. Bobby Wagner will cover a fumble. Terrence Knighton's going to have um, a, a sack. And I'll give Dominique Rogers camardi an interception. 
Just ever, just write all that down. All right, I'll wrap things up. If there's anything we learned from the 2007 Super Bowl when we saw the Patriots as one of the best offenses of all time, it's that good offenses don't score as many points in the Super Bowl as they do in the regular season. This game's going to be a lot less scoring than people think. I go Denver 20, Seattle 14 is the final. Peyton gets ring number two to tie up Eli at his place, just like Eli did in Indianapolis two years ago. Yeah. T Team Peyton. I mean, what else do you want me to Team say? Peyton. By the way, Jennifer Garner at the press conference did say defense, the best defense beats the best offense. I, I don't know if she was just speaking platitudes. I mean, and she can do no wrong. So I don't know. <laughs> there you have it. Ben Affleck teaching her a lot of football knowledge, I guess. Oh, I'm sure. By the way, today, Mike Francesa's last day on Yes Network, and I think he's actually here. So we should probably, we should probably sell him, you know. Well, that's why luck. we're wrapping up the show, Kenny. Do you see we'd like to thank... Christian O'Hara, our beat reporter for the Seahawks. John Brinkus. Who Chris Benezia just got off the phone with us again, our Denver Broncos. And Apologize to John Brinkus. It's, it's been a fun week here, Kenny Ducey. Any final thoughts to leave the listeners with before we head out? You know, as John Brinkus told me before, <laughs> Russell Wilson, he can do it. You know, he's, he's one of the most elusive quarterbacks in the league. John Brinkus really likes Russell Wilson. And John Brinkus almost got me to believe that Russell Wilson was going to win the Super Bowl. But no. It won't happen, DJ. Russell Wilson won't win the Super Bowl. I hope the whole radio row hears me. I know they do because there's about 10 people here right now, and everyone's gone. The Broncos are winning the Super Bowl, and Peyton Manning is going home with his second ring, and we're going to start to talk about him as one of the greatest quarterbacks who ever lived. There you go. All right, so that will do it for us here from Radio Row. We'd like to thank all of our guests. Nick Costos, former WFEV sports manager, now with SiriusXM Radio and Bleacher Report. Kevin Harlan, the voice of the Super Bowl on Westwood One. Bob Papa, the voice of the New York Football Giants. WFUV alum Chris Mad Dog Russo of SiriusXM. Clark Judge of the Sports Exchange and NBC Sports Radio Boston. And, of course, we'd like to thank former special teams coordinator for the Jets, Mike Westoff, and former Jets free safety, Damian Robinson, for taking the time out of their busy schedules. And, of course, all of you out there in Radio Land, it's been an absolute treat serving you. Tomorrow we will do it once again. One-on-one -on -one is live at 1 p.m. on both 90.7 WFUVsports.org. So until that time, the producer of WFUV Sports, Mr. Bob Ahrens. Today's show has been produced by the one and only Julian Atienza. Our studio producer has been Kelly Coltis, our engineer Patrick Burns, our media reporters for the Super Bowl on site, Jake Kring Strifles with the finest hair gel in the business, Nick Legerifo, who doesn't exactly have the looks to woo Jennifer Gardner, and our stage manager, Alicia Montanera. So for Kenny Ducey, I'm DJ Sixsmith. So long, enjoy your weekend, and have a great Super Bowl. This has been One-on-One's NFL Friday, only on WFUVsports.org. Join us next week as we take you around the NFL. We'll see you then.